the Olympics come to these fair islands in 2012? But just how can we ensure that we take gold? But then I had a thought. Make drinking beer an Olympic sport. And now, let my master plan unfold. Because I want to put drinking beer in the Olympics. We'll all be world-class athletes, you and me. We'll drink till we're unstable and be top of the medal table. So I'm going to the bar for Team GB. Well, I could drink ten pie sacks in my vest, trying to bring me personal best. There'd even be medals for queuing in the KFC. From now on, going out on the lash, we'll all be funded by lottery cash. So I'm going to the bar for Team GB. So getting blathered now becomes intensive training. And I'm exercising at the pub week in, week out. Yeah. And I've got on a retainer, Johnny Vegas is my personal trainer. We're drinking bitter lager, cider, ale and stouts. Hey. I want to put drinking beer in the Olympics. We'll all be world-class athletes, you and me. We'll drink till we're unstable And be top of the medal table So I'm going to the bar for Team GB Right, let's check some commentary Yes, sir, gymnastics now Let's go to Bernard Thresher in the vault uh, I'm told he's actually no longer in the vault He's now in the lounge And he's undertaking the synchronised drinking Let's check the marks from the judges 5.4, 5.6, 5.9 percent alcohol He's done it! I can drink ten pints that's in my vest Trying to bring my personal best There'd even be medals for queuing at the KFC From now on going out on the lash We'll all be funded by lottery cash So I'm going to the bar for Team GB No drinking lager, the Germans, they'll be competition And for vodka, the Russians would put up a fight, I guess but drinking till you're chaotic will finally be patriotic! Has anyone got Seb Cole's email address? Hey! I want to put drinking beer in the Olympics We'll all be world-class athletes, you and me We'll drink till we're unstable And be top of the medal table So I'm going to the bar for Team GB Chris Sakabusi, all right Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to an all-new epic episode of Hey Kids Comics. Epic. I'm Michael Leyland. I'm Andrew Leyland. And together, we bring you the finest comics have to offer, and worst. Yeah, and the worst, yes. Mm. <laughs> but before we head on to the main event, there are a few emails first to read out. Yes, uh, we not mentioned this is your episode. Oh yeah, it's my episode. Yes, this is all Michael again, so you know who to blame for this one. Um, first up, yes, we have emails. Uh, Michael Bailey's emailed in. Mikey Mike B. Michael's email this week is entitled Night's End Part 3. So, just as a guess, Mm. one would imagine he's feeding back to our Night's End Part 3 episode. Yeah. I'm not stupid, me, then. Greetings. No flies on you. No flies on me. What does that mean? I don't smell a poop. Is that what that means? (laughs) Greetings to the best and brightest the North of England has to offer the world of podcasting. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I'm not aware that there are many other mm. comic book podcasters from the north of England, but we, we will take that compliment in the spirit in which it was intended. Oh, yeah. Well, Mike here with my weekly email to chime in on what y'all talked about. I love y'all. 
You keep asking, I keep writing. The arrangement's working out nicely so far. Once again, bullet points are in order, as that seems to be the best way to get my thoughts out. On the car, on the way to work. Yeah. <laughs> you just seem scribbling all this stuff down, <laughs> ducking and diving. I'm so hard trying to dot it off. Moving around from the, ah, the police are on my tail again. I don't want a third strike on my license. We've got to get this cold beer to Atlanta quickly. <laughs> You got a smoky knocking on your back door. Come back. Do you know how cool I thought you were? Bailey and the Bandit! <laughs> I would watch that film. Yeah. You know, anyway. You know how cool I thought you were? I was watching Smoking the Bandit. Like, my dad drinks that beer. Of course. My, my, my dad's cool. You only did it because it was on Smoking the Bandit. I only did it, yeah. It's the only reason I wanted a 1978 Pontiac Trans Am as well. Fair enough. My, I, I've just read all of it. Uh, this might be nitpicky, but it seemed that Andy was saying that the only good crossover after the Knights trilogy was No Man's Land. Well, he's wrong. I will admit, yes, that's the <laughs> Edit the rest of what Michael wrote just for. Well, he's wrong. Moving on. <laughs> I will admit that I could be taking what he said wrong, but I feel the need to defend a few of the bat events that happened between Batman getting better and Gotham being disowned by America. Prodigal, in particular, was an amazing story and showed why Dick Grayson is the only person that could replace Bruce, but also why he wasn't quite ready to assume the mantle of the bat. Troika was a fun adventure piece, though it was pretty small in scope and served mainly to show off Batman's new duds before the creative teams went in their own directions. Cataclysm was quite good, actually. While it had some slow moments, it was interesting to see the creative teams explore what a major earthquake would do to a city like Gotham. It actually brought me back to the Bat titles after a small hiatus. Otherwise, I will agree that the crossovers were largely forgettable. Contagion was decent, but didn't have a solid emotional base outside of Tim Drake getting sick. Legacy wasn't all that good, though I will admit it was kind of funny to see Tim run into the Asian kid from the first issue of his first miniseries, the grandson of the martial arts master that Tim was training under, and watching Tim drop the guy with relative ease. I think the biggest disappointment was the rematch of Batman and Bane, which didn't feel epic the way I think it should have, but that could just be me. I'm not going to take issue with that, because that would be the wrong phrase. I, I probably didn't express myself properly. Okay. What I meant to say was, there, would, there wasn't a Bat crossover after the Knights trilogy that I felt was A, orchestrated as well as Nightfall was. Or as memorable. As memorable, and also wasn't as emotionally satisfying for me as a reader. We did like Prodigal a great deal, didn't we? Yeah. Both of us liked Prodigal, and we do intend on covering Prodigal at some point down the line. Um, Troika, I didn't consider Troika to be a big crossover, to be I honest with you. So in, uh, that would that completely slipped my mind when I was thinking about the big crossovers. Uh, Cataclysm, we had the trade paperback of at some point, but we don't seem to have any more. Do we not? No. And I, but I remember enjoying it. Contagion, I've never read. I have. Have you? Yeah. Is it any good? It's decent. Okay. So that takes us straight into No Man's Land. And that was what I was trying to say in my own cack handed, ham fisted way. Mm. Emotionally, none of the others resonated as well with me as Nightfall did. And orchestra. And what not? And none of the others were as orchestrated as well, is what I meant to say. Okay. Moving on with Michael's email. I suddenly want you to start a Spider-Man podcast. It would be weekly, but you would actually record two episodes a week every two weeks. The show's name? Spider-Man. Twice on Sunday. <laughs> Do you know I actually like that idea? Yeah. And if I had all the time in the world, I would take him up on that. That would be your third podcast. That would be my third podcast, but I don't have time to do two, let alone three. Mm. I laughed at the Colour Purple reference. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I'm glad somebody got it. We made a Colour Purple reference. I made a Colour Purple reference. It sailed right over your head. 
Yeah. If memory serves. Uh, I too love the Joe Chill story you talked about. And if you're going to cover a Batman origin story, I vote that you discuss Untold Legends of the Batman. Yes. I love Untold Legends of the Batman. Okay. It is the definitive pre-crisis Batman origin. All right, then. And as so, did we did talk... Yes. We did talk, after I read this email, didn't we, of doing an Origins Month? Yeah. Where we do our favourite origins of each of our favourite characters. But then you were like, did they do an origin of Al Blazer? Didn't you, didn't you not say, did they do a John Constantine origin? No. Did they not? Okay. Uh, Batman dropped the yellow over. All right. Okay. Batman dropped the yellow oval after No Man's Land when he went to the kids' WB Batman the Animated Series. Look. All right. Okay. I think I vaguely remember that. The fact there is a New Zero month coming up at DC makes me feel old. Yes. You know what we should do the month that Zero, the New Zero issues hit. We should do all Zero Hour issues, or maybe just Zero Hour. Yeah. What do you think? Okay. I would rather do the Batman issues of Zero Hour because they were awesome. Yeah. The Superman ones were awful. With all the Batmans and the yeah. with old Alfred. Yeah, so maybe maybe when Zero Month rolls around in we'll, September... We'll go back to Hey Kids Batman. We'll, we'll do Hey Kids, a Batman, com- Batman podcast. Comp, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, I absolutely loved Michael's questions about the new 52. I'm not trying to talk smack about the new World Order, but the whole Batman and Green Lantern are pretty much the same thing and annoys me. At last year's San Diego Comic Con, Dan DiDio said they decided to renumber Action and Detective because they had to show they were serious. You know what else would have shown fans they were serious? Start everything, even your cash cows of Green Lantern and Batman over at issue number one. That would have been during. Hedging your bets on the books that are still selling makes good business sense, but at the end of the day it shows that DC is willing to take a chance on everything except the stuff that is selling. Catwoman, as a title, was hit and miss for me. The Joe Duffy issues were decent, but far from memorable. When Chuck Dixon took over, the book took on an Indiana Jones vibe, with Selina acting as a globe-trotting thief. The book was solid because, well, it was Chuck Dixon. My God, that man can write. Devin Grayson's run wasn't all that hot, but that shouldn't surprise anyone, as her writing, with few exceptions, was pants. I remember quite enjoying Devin, some of Devin Grayson's stuff on Batman Gotham Knights, particularly okay. an issue... Have you read this one where Aquaman shows up at the Batcave, bored, and Bruce Wayne's just kind of tinkering around, and they're both just hanging out going, we really have no friends, do we? That was, I remember that one being quite a good one. And that's it for this week. Sorry that the email was a week late. Things have been crazy around here. I thought about skipping this week, but I've sworn to write in every week, so here you go. I'm really looking forward to your coverage of DC New Frontier, as I love that story. I'm also glad you're using the Absolute Edition, which is a thing of beauty. I will never part with mine, as not only is it signed by Darwin Cook, but he even sketched Little Green Lantern Head without me asking. Until next time, cheers, mate. Mike. Uh, Mike, I know real life gets in the way, mate. You don't have to write in every week if you're really busy. I've been for the last three weeks planning on sitting down and sending back to the bins an email and just haven't found the time so we understand but we will shed a tear if we don't get an email from you every week we will (laughs) we do get quite upset by it but we accept that real life frequently gets in the way of fun P.S. oh there's a P.S. Darwin Cook is a hell of a nice guy Oh, that's good to know. If he ever comes over here. If he ever comes over here, we will go and We'll abuse his niceness. We will. <laughs> in our own British way. Yeah. Sign this, fool! That's what we will do, yes. I'll do that to Sean Phillips. Yeah. Because he sketches for free, so I've got to sketch every year. He only sketches for children for free. No, there's You're not a child anymore. The second time, it was free for everyone. Oh, that's nice. I got a, I got a um, watercolour zombie Deadpool. So you did? And the next time, I just got a black and white John Constantine. Which looks a lot like himself. It looks like a lot like Sean Phillips. It does, yeah. With blonde hair. No, it's in black and white, so... Oh. Our next email is entitled Night's End Feedback, and it's from Steve Rogers. That name sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Just some probably unknown from a small 
underground indie comic. You reckon? Yeah. Cancelled in the fourth. He's never heard of again. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Steve. First off, love the coverage of the final part of the Batman Knight trilogy. If I had a vote, I'd say you guys should do Cataclysm No Man's Land as the next mega-universe crossover. Oh, I I don't think we have enough shows to do No Man's Land. We definitely want to do Prodigal. We need to do a one-shot plus our little old mini-series to be able to do it. Um, We definitely want to do Hush. Yeah. I don't know about doing... I think No Man's Land would just be too mammoth an undertaking. We really would be a Batman podcast at that point, won't we? It'd be be longer than Nice Quest. To be fair, the Batman episodes bring us in the punters. It does. So does the Spider-Man ones. So so you've got to balance... You've got to balance the... Heavy comic hitters. Yeah. Heavy comics. So you've got to balance the commercially successful with the critically acclaimed. Yeah. Because we are critically acclaimed. I have no idea. Critically. <laughs> Critically patterned. Yeah. <laughs> it made me wonder about why the epic crossover events in the Bat titles of the last two decades haven't had the same punch that the 90s ones had. Continues Steve. Seems like the better massive event storylines in recent years have been self-contained in the title, Hush, Court of Owls, even with the Knight of Owls that was in May, as opposed to family-wide stories like War Games and R.I.P. Was it just better focused and the editing in the 1990s more tight? You didn't have a writer in a book just go off and do a story that for all intents and purposes had little to do with the trade dress on the cover. Well, sometimes you did, but for the most part it seems stuff like the night stories in No Man's Land, oh, and I'd love to hear Andrew belt out the Billy Joel tune of the same name, had more than just paying lip service to the event that the book was being part of. Whilst I never refuse an opportunity to sing... You're going to. I don't actually know a lot of Billy Joel. Fair enough. To be fair. I know Piano Man. And uh, we didn't start the fire... It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. That one. It was given to us by some blood called from me. <laughs> oh dear God. Or it could be that the meat of the stories were better. As I've seen Paul Dini's Heart of Hush story that ran in Detective with an R.I.P. trade dress being heralded as much better than what Grant Morrison was doing in Batman with the main R.I.P. story unfolding. Blasphemous. Is that what you think? It is. Do you think the Grant Morrison one was better than the Paul Dini one? Well, Paul Dini one set before Grant Morrison's run. Is it? Mm. Even though it's got R.I.P. on the cover? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I have not read either. Well, so, have no opinion. Rippers. It's my least favourite of the Grant Morrison run, but it's still decent. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and this is just hard to consider a story truly great if a satellite title is doing a better job with the storytelling than the main title is. So, Michael doesn't agree with you, Steve, as you may have guessed from the amount of purse coming from his general direction. Heretic. I have not read either. Go save the world, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I've not read either, so I, I can't comment. I did enjoy Paul Dini's run on... Um, Streets of Gotham and Detective Comics more than I was enjoying Grant Morrison's stuff in Batman. Because you didn't read Grant Morrison. Because I didn't read Grant Morrison's you stuff in Batman. it halfway through story. Yes. Arts. Yes, when I think it comes to reading it, I threw them at you. Yes, that's true. Anyway, enjoyed the first part of the New Frontier coverage. Can't wait for the rest and the movie. Cheers, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve. Why'd you stop five halfway through a series? I don't know. I didn't think you'd like it. I'm reading it and I like it. Michael Burley sent us another email. Woo! called New Frontier Part 1. Ah. He was very prolific this week, wasn't he? So, was this, so did his last email arrive late? His last email arrived too late for to be included in last week's show, yes. Ah. So last week we only had Scott Gardner's email. He keeps cutting the cut. He cut, does, missing, he keeps missing, missing that deadline. Yeah, he does. Oh, dear me. <laughs> We've just said he can have a week off if he's really tired, but now we're saying don't miss your deadlines! 
Well, he, he, he is gonna, if he is going to email us at all, he should, he should at least be on time. <laughs> oh, oh, you're shocking, you are. <laughs> uh, Michael Bailey, greetings to the best father and son duo in podcasting. Well, we'll take that compliment yeah. as well. I don't know that we're not the only father and son duo in podcasting. If, if, there, are, hey, if there are, the son's probably your age and the father's probably... Yes, yes, yes. If that is an award, we'll have it. Yeah. Best father and son duo in podcasting. Once again, you've picked a series that is near and dear to my heart to cover on your show. DC New Frontier is my favourite miniseries of the 2000s and in many ways kept me sane throughout the period in which it was being published. You see, cue sad but not too sad music. 2002 and 2003 were a dark time for me in reading comics. I just wasn't digging the books I was reading like I used to and the Superman titles in particular were a sad state of affairs. Towards the end of 2003, things were slowly improving but I still felt that malaise that most long-time fans feel from time to time. Then New Frontier came along, and suddenly I had a lifeboat, something to cling on to. Then, as now, I felt the story was a sequel of sorts to the very awesome Golden Age miniseries written by James Robinson without by Paul Smith. Years later, I was pleased to learn that Darwin Cook felt much the same way. I looked forward to every issue and was very sad when it went from monthly to bi-monthly. Uh, see, we didn't know. We'd read it in absolute. Mm. I had no idea. I mean, we did read the release dates out, didn't we? Yeah. But I didn't pay much attention to the fact that it went from monthly to bi-monthly. You didn't read it for years. No, I, I read it in the absolute. That's, that's how I discovered it. So. What I love most about this series is that it fits right into a certain type of comic that I love reading. I'm a huge fan of the characters of DC's Golden and Silver Age, but sometimes feel that the original stories are, to put it nicely, tough to get through. The writing's different from what I'm accustomed to, and with some books you really have to put yourself into another mindset to get through them. Being the DC guy I am, I love the idea of looking at the beginnings of that company's Silver Age with a modern sensibility, much as in the same way I love Roy Thomas's various series focusing on DC's Golden Age characters. With a story like New Frontier, I get to have my cake and eat it too by seeing the older versions of the classic heroes, but not having to put up with the heroes sitting around the headquarters, bitching about the fact there is no crime because apparently the Golden Age Green Lantern wants nothing more to do than to have some poor bank teller have a gun put into their face because he's freaking bored. That bank teller needed years of therapy to not only get over the fact that he had a firearm pointed at him and his life threatened, but also because he soiled himself in front of the other teller that he had a huge crush on and now she won't give him the time of day. Did that actually happen? I don't know, but he should write comments. (laughs) Yes, he should. Eventually, he turns to drinking, loses his job, and then he's home and ends up as a vagrant on the street, mysteriously killed by a Fantastic Four omnibus. (laughs) All because Alan Scott had nothing to better to do with his time. Alan Scott is a jerk. Isn't he, is he the gay one now? Yeah. So that's now his defining characteristic, isn't it? He's the gay one. Yeah. See, that's my problem that I have with it. It's not the that he's a character. Gay, he's a full three-dimensional, full-blooded, well-drawn character you engage with who happens to be gay in the same way that I happen to be heterosexual. Like Master. Yeah. But this now... Because oh, he's forever. Because they made such a big deal out of it. He's like, he's now the gay one, isn't he? Rightly or wrongly. Even though you can pick up an issue and he's straight but then you pick up Earth 2 and he's gay. Well, it's a completely different universe, isn't it? The Pandora tweaked things. Mm. As we'll mention next week when we do Justice League. This, or this week. 
Anyway, I bought each issue of the series as it came out and simply adored it. It's one of those series I felt the need to double dip on by also getting the Absolute Edition, which, as you both well know, is 16 different types of gorgeous. Andrew and I have something in common, as my wife bought this for me for Christmas, as well as along with the Crisis Absolute Edition. I have that as well. Doesn't the only other Absolute I have is Crisis on Infinite Earths. I have a lot. Michael has a lot more than I do. <laughs> I have even tracked down a near-complete set of the action figures, which I suddenly want to dig out and put on my hutch because they are so freaking cool. They do look cool. Yeah, you do. And you got them out as well? Did I? Yeah, oh, Michael. I've seen the picture, yeah. Post, post pictures of them. Getting Ow. into the story. I dig this opening chapter quite a bit. I have never really been a fan of war comics, or war movies for that matter, but I have nothing against them. They never called to me, and thus I never developed an affinity for them. Despite not having a man crush on DC's war characters, I do have a healthy respect for them, and bringing it back to my original point, that is why I like the opening chapter so much. I knew who these people were, and it's a testament to Cook's storytelling abilities that he made me care about these men before he killed them, leading to their death having an impact on me. That last shot of Cloud jumping into the mouth of the T-Rex is so awesome, they added it as part of the definition in the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay, not really, but they would have been cool if they did. I think they should just have a picture of that next yeah. to awesome, shouldn't they? No words, just a picture. Yeah, just that picture from DC's uh, New Frontier. I also want to tip my hat, if I had a hat, that is, because I have an odd-shaped head and look terrible in hats, but you get the point. To Michael, not only did he mention the All-Star Squadron, but his rundown of the Sphere of Density, or Density, if you're George McFly, was well-researched. I enjoyed his recounting quite a bit. Good job, Michael. Thank you. I'd call you Mike, but some of us with that name can be sensitive about nicknames. You don't mind being called Mike, do you? Not really. Okay. The Spear of Destiny was used in the early issues of All-Star Squadron, and while something is a silly device to keep the heroes from winning the war in an afternoon, I really liked it and don't see it as being contrived at all. It made sense in the narrative, and for me that's usually all I need. James Robinson had an alternative explanation in his Golden Age miniseries, and while it works in that story, it never sat still with me, and struck me as then modern writer going, we all know the whole Spear of Destiny thing is silly, so I'm going to come up with a real explanation for it. I could be misreading Robinson's intentions, I'm by no means insulting him as a writer because I love me some Starman. We've never read Starman. No. That's one of those classic runs that everybody says is some of the best comics ever written that we've not read, isn't it? Maybe it just blow our minds. Maybe it would. This is a Starman waiting in the sky. <laughs> I too love the newspaper style storytelling that details the fall of the heroes and our man's death. This portion of the story got to me because I have such a love for the Justice Society. Cook went that extra mile by having our man die, which brings a certain realism to the story that pushed me deeper into the world that Cook had created. One of the story elements from this section that I can't read the same way again is a young Hal Jordan meeting Chuck Yeager in 1948 and then aging significantly to where he needs to be in 1953. The only reason I noticed this was Cook pointed it out somewhere. I think it was his commentary for the animated film, I can't remember. It doesn't ruin the story for me, but it does take me out for a brief moment. I will both agree and disagree with Michael about Hal Jordan. I too prefer this Hal to all other versions I have experienced. I will take up for the Hal in Emerald Dawn, though, because I think a Hal Jordan that has a rough life since the death of his father that leads him to making a terrible mistake, i.e. drinking and driving and injuring his friend, is just as valid a take on Hal as this one. Again, I prefer this one, but the Hal in Emerald Dawn had a lot going for him, and it led nicely into Gerard Jones' relaunch of the series. That version of Hal might have been a tad more introspective and more prone to self-doubt, but I never thought he got lost in that, and that self-doubt made the moment a few issues in where Hal steps up to the plate more dramatic and heroic. It is much better to me than the overconfident, can't-do-any-wrong, we-need-to-be-more-like-this-jackass version of Hal that Jeff Jones would later craft. Even in that, I didn't think he was much of a jackass. What, in Jeff Jones? Jeff Jones one, yeah. Uh, I would disagree in the New 52. In the, yeah, in that, and in the movie as well. Yes. He's B- very cocky. The bits cocky, of the movie I've seen, I'm like, wow. So you've not watched up. the movie, have you? 
No. Me and you should watch that movie. Is there any poo in your ass? Because you're a douche. <laughs> a quick question for Andrew. You mentioned that you prefer to stop reading Batman's adventures in 1944 and come back in 1969. While I agree that the science fiction Batman is damn silly, I think that some of the stories from when Julius Swartz took over the title in 1964 were a lot of fun and very reminiscent of the post-introduction of Robin stories from the Golden Age. I was curious as to what you thought of those if you've read them. Um, I have read some. I've read a number of 60s Batman stories. I won a bunch on eBay and I've got the... Dynamic Dual Archive Volume 1, which I picked up in Florida for, for quite cheap. Um, I don't dislike them in the same way that I, I can't get into the 50s Batman. It's the same reason I liked Superman from the 30s to the 70s, but didn't like Batman from the 30s to the 70s when I was a kid. Superman lends himself to down-at-home, gritty, let's-take-out-slum-lords-and-beat-up-wife-beater stories. But he also lends himself to going off to other planets and having adventure stories. Neither a particularly, uh, for want of a better word, betrayal of that character. But my Batman was formed pretty quickly early on. The 1979 UK annual, which I've mentioned before, had the 1940s Joe Chill story, which was quite dark for the time. Or certainly for me as a, what was I, six or seven at that point. Mm. And then the other stories were, were pretty much up-to-date recent ones. And that was quickly followed by Batman Pocketbook number two, which was the Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers Batman, and my first reading of the Joker's five-way revenge from the superheroes number three, all of which kind of formed my opinion of Batman as being the Dark Knight detective. I don't get that from the 50s stories at all. I really don't get it from the 60s ones. He's out in the daylight too much. He chums around with Robin. To me, they're just little flash stories. They're not bad. I can enjoy reading them more than the 50s ones, but they're just not... They're so far removed away from what I think Batman is. And they just remind me too much of the 60s TV show, which I know is not the fault of those stories. But it's it's just not my Batman. I like the science fiction type Batman. Yeah, you like the silly Batman well, stories. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this again, but say with the Grant Morrison run. Mm. Okay, not only do you have detective stories, but you have your really big science fiction, aliens, time travel stories as well. See, I, I just like my Batman to be a street level. I don't even like Batman being in the Justice League much, though, do I? Really? No. Not even if he was like... Work in the computer and tell me. I don't mind that so much, but that's why I used to have Oracle. Yeah. My take on Batman should be if it's a street level crime, then yes, the Justice League will bring him in. Mm. But when it's aliens invading Earth, my take on it is always like if they're calling in Batman, they're in trouble. Yeah. You know, if Superman and Wonder Woman's out of the way, that's who you call in for a big alien invasion, not Batman. Yeah. So, so whilst the Justice League's fighting space aliens from yeah. the future, Batman's beating a drug dealer. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. My my take on Batman is that he is the daredevil of the DC Universe. He's cooler than we are, he's smarter than we are, he's richer than we are, and he has more toys than we have, and he's arguably fitter than we are, but he's still what we are, which is why so many people like Batman. Yeah. But that to me is the minute you... T- it's the same with Spider-Man. The minute you put Spider-Man in a cosmic story, I switch off. The only exception to that rule is the black costume. Because okay. even then, you weren't taking Spider-Man and putting him in a cosmic storyline. You were giving a slightly science fiction element to the story and Peter dealt with it in his real world. Okay. Secret Wars, on the other hand, I thought Spider-Man was only there because he can sell comics. Toys. Yeah, that as well. The Avengers, the X-Men, I have no problem with them fighting world-beating conquerors, but Spider-Man, like Batman, should mm. kind of stay out of the way, stuff like that. But that's just me. I know there are lots of people who love 50s and 60s. Batman, there's an excellent 
50s Batman website. Um, so I'm not taken away from the people that enjoy it. It's just not my bag, man. Uh, Michael's email continues. Also, I'm like you. Finally. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I can drop into any era of Superman and enjoy myself. It may not be the version of Superman I prefer, but I can get behind it just the same. Speaking of Superman, I agree with Andrew 100% about Superman not being a lackey to whatever administration is in power at the time. While it makes sense in the case of this story, I think that at the end of the day, Superman would still fall back to being the champion of the weak and the oppressed. I like it when Superman is played as respectful and willing to help when he can, but isn't blindingly loyal if you think something doesn't smell right. Frank Miller's perception of the character in Dark Knight Returns me off every single time I read it. Every time. See, the we're completely in simpatico. I really don't like the interpretation of Superman in Dark Knight Returns. At all. Okay. I never did. For me, that's the reason I can never rate that story as highly as other people do. Because it gets let down. Yeah, it gets let down by its portrayal of Superman. Mm. Uh, and the thing I did like about New Frontier, we learn at the end of the story that he's he's working from within to try to train yeah, things. And off. he's working with Batman to do this. Yeah. So he wasn't just being a lackey, he was essentially being a spy. So I liked that. And that's, that's alright then. Yeah, that's perfectly okay. Uh, quick correction, and it was an easy mistake to make, but the Johnny Thunder that Barry is watching is not the JSA member that had Magic Thunderbolt. Yeah. It was a nod to the Western character of the same name. John Tain, I believe, was a school teacher in the Old West that promised someone that he would never use guns, but found that sometimes violence needed to be used, so he adopted the identity of Johnny Thunder by changing clothes and turning his hair black. Again, an easy mistake to make, as they have the exact same name. And that's pretty much it, as I've written a novel at this point. I have not only dug the figures out, but my absolute as well, so I'm hoping to get through it in the next few weeks so I can follow along. Keep up the great work. Cheers, mate. Mike. So you know what that email should have been called? What? Andrew, you were right. Michael, you were wrong. No! <laughs> Why do you always take that from it? I, I, was, I was joking. I know you were. I appreciate that you were joking. We have a next email, simply called Podcast, from Keith Rick. I don't believe Keith has emailed into the show before. Me? Hello, Keith. Hello, Keith. Hi, he says in return. Hi. Which was really good. It was. That he knew that he, we were going to do that. Oh, very impressed. I loved your courage of the New Frontier so far. When you get around to watching the DC Direct animated version of the New Frontier, I recommend watching it with both the commentaries of the movie, one by the people who made the movie and one by Darwin Cook, as well as the feature itself. Ah. Well, we can't do that. Because as we pointed out in our discussion of the movie last week, Warner Brothers, in their infinite wisdom, have not seen fit to release that movie over here. No. So we have to get it via nefarious means. Yeah. Our pal Tor, <laughs> Mr. Rent, came round and he said, Here, Gav, want to buy a, a cheap copy of New Frontier? Come blimey, up the apples and pears. Want to buy a W as well while we're at it? So uh, we could not listen to the commentaries, alas, for that very reason. I know However, three... Warner Brothers do sell the Batman DVDs over They sell some of them. I've, see, I've seen all, all the animated series. Volume 3 and 4 are not out. I have seen them. No, you haven't. Are you sure? Yes. Volumes 1 and 2 are available over here. They were, they... Volumes 3 and 4 are not. I'm sure they had purple. I am positive nope. they had... I'll put you... I will bet you money Take it right yeah. here. Right. Okay. Volumes 3 and 4 have not been released in this country. Volumes right. 1 and 2 have, and you can get them on iTunes... You cannot go into HMV and buy volumes three and four. I've I'd saw more than one and two in HMV. Yes, you did. You saw Brave and the Vold volumes four and five and six because I was there today. Yeah. I was quite surprised to find out that Batman Year One has been released in this country. And there are separate volumes of Batman the Animated Series that only feature, get this, four episodes on a disc. It could have been that, but I remember seeing... It's that, that. not... 
It's not. I'll All put right. money on it for you. All right. Then. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Keith's email continues. One is the H.P. Lovecraft feel of the story. Not only the Elder God type feeling I get from the centre itself, but also from some of the creatures in the story and the centre cults that seem to be present in the story. Well, you're more of a Lovecraft fan than I am. I am, yeah. Did you think there was a Lovecraftian element to New Frontier? I haven't noticed it until now. But now that he's pointed it out, you can agree with yeah. that. Okay. The island's like the one in Dagon. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, thanks for pointing that out, Keith. You've made Michael think, though. Which we never encourage, <laughs> to be honest. I also got a sort of Apocalypse Now type feel from the part of the story with Wonder Woman in Indochina. Love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> That's the one. I felt like, it felt like Wonder Woman as a less crazy version of Colonel Kurtz and Superman in the Captain Willard role, questioning if she had gone too far in fighting the war. That's a valid interpretation as well, isn't it? God damn, he's making us both think. Yeah, yeah, these are excellent points, Keith. Email Never more. emailed us before. Never emailed lines. in. Comes in, blows the bloody doors off, doesn't he? <laughs> excellent. Yeah, we like that. Yeah. Well, though, thank you, Keith. Email in again. Mind blown. Yes. Finally, I notice something when King Faraday attempts to capture the Flash. Oh, Faraday go. says, I have a selfie next to Rex Tyler, a.k.a. Our Man. In my version of the book, this is all that is said. In the ultimate version of the book, it's confirmed that our man is still alive. Ooh, is it? Okay. That's what we didn't notice that, did we? No. We will have to check on that. I also like the cameo by Bandle Savage in the cell as well. I think you mentioned the Bandle yeah. Savage cameo, didn't you? Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next parts of your courage of the new frontier as well. Keith Hedrick. Uh, thank you very much, Keith. We, we greatly appreciated that. I said Keith Rick before, didn't I? But his name's Keith Hedrick. Yeah, I do apologise for that. The email said Rick, so... Yes, but that was his email address. Ah, right. Our next email. Luke Giaconetti's back. Ooh, After ooh, a, ooh, ooh. a week or two off. Yeah. Uh, there was another email from Luke, though, that we skipped. Because that wasn't a show email. That was just me and him talking. Ah, right. I'm beyond the new frontier! Fucking beyond my back. No, no, we were talking about G.I. Joe. Figured you wouldn't be interested. Oh, oh, oh. And James Bond. Didn't bother to ask. Luke and I like the James Bond books. And the films. Okay. So. And I don't like the films, so I'm not. I've never said... I, I don't believe you ever expressed an opinion in the James Bond movies, have you? I mean, you've had no choice but to watch them, because I watch them. Luke's email begins. And this is one of my favourites. <laughs> Hello, nurse! I mean, Leyland's. Animaniacs! Yep. We're Animaniacs. We're crazy to the max. We got one of Luke's references. What? <laughs> oh dear. First off, dudes, I wanted to say that for years and years I kept my comics in crappy paper boxes as well. <laughs> I finally broke down and got some drawer boxes a few years back. For a long time I kept everything in printer paper boxes taken from work. <laughs> That's what we do. Some of ours need replacing. They do, mine needs replacing. Yeah. Now then, New Frontier. I missed this story when it was published as well, as I was not really paying much attention to DC Comics at the time. I ended up checking the two trade paperbacks out from my local library, and I devoured them. Absolutely great stuff from beginning to end. I'm eager to hear what you guys think of it, because so much of the book is devoted to American history and American culture, so to hear a couple of Englishmen talk about it is intriguing. Of course, I've always thought that, despite our political differences, that our countries will always be close. The shared history and language, of course, but I think that we both tend to feel the same way about certain values such as liberty, human rights, and justice. Remember that both the United States and the United Kingdom fought communism in this era. The Red Threat was a real and viable enemy, which would have taken both countries and all of our allies if it could have. At the centre of New Frontier is this ideological clash, which you will no doubt cover in the second episode, between liberty and depression, and I think both American and British readers can bring the same basic values to reading that story. Um, yes, because that's far better thought out. 
and written and expressed and more eloquent than anything we could have said. Yeah. Um, I don't think politically we're that different, Luke, to be honest with you. We both have the same two-party system. Mm-hmm. We both have people who will vote for their party, irrespective of how dumb that party leader is. And I'm not getting political on the thing. So I don't think we're that different politically. Certainly since Margaret Thatcher was in power and President Reagan was in power, yeah. when they were both... That's where the special relationship between the UK and the United States was forged, primarily. Although, prior before that, Roosevelt and Churchill were mm. buddies as well. Before America officially entered the war, he was feeding us information and intel. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. And we, we certainly have the same moderate belief system, although the American Constitution puts it far more succinctly than we do. Yeah. And truth, justice, and the American way pretty much sums it up even more succinctly. Over here, that would be truth, justice, and the right to have a nice cup of tea and complain about the weather, wouldn't it? Yeah. But anyway. Justice and uh, tax frauds. <laughs> oh, that's a bit too political. <laughs> the first chapter is an unabashed love letter to the classic DC war comics. DC always did their genre books better than Marvel, be the Western mystery, or yes, war. Uh, I'm going to take issue with that simply because I'm reading Essential Sergeant Fury at the moment and loving it. If you want to recommend me some of DC's war <laughs> comics, uh, like Sergeant Rock or something, because I don't think I've ever read any of them. The Losers? Or, well, he's the, the old Kirby losers, you mean? Yeah. Anyway. Long after Marvel had essentially dropped their genre books, GC was still publishing material in a lot of those. Editor Joe Orlando had a great roster of writers and artists, many of them veterans like he was, who put out war comics which were exciting reads but never lost sight of the true horror of war. Bob Kaniger, who may be best known nowadays for his insane Silver Age superhero stories, was a pioneer in telling these sorts of negative, anti-heroic war stories. In a later chapter of New Frontier, there's a reference to Make War No More. This little tag would appear as a small icon in the clothes of nearly all of DC's war comics under all Lando's watch. That Cook chose to pay tribute to these comics is no surprise, especially given the scope and nature of the series. Regarding the losers, in a sense you guys are dead on. They are like the 80. The four original losers actually all had their own books which didn't survive, so Orlando threw the four of them together and they gelled. Captain Storm, for instance, was a navy strip, with Storm the captain of a PT boat. He would lose his leg and eye, necessitating the wooden leg and eye patch about a year into the loser's run. But the line which Johnny says when he throws himself into the dinosaur... Ask my family, and they'll tell you I was a Navajo. Ask the Army Air Force, and they'll say I was an American. But if you ask my brothers, they'll set you straight. John Cloud was a loser. It's a simple one. And one of the most touching and poignant moments which you I said can... It. He's done that deliberately because he knows I can't say it. I have ever read in a war comic. And from that moment, I knew I was in for a treat whilst reading this story. Some other notes. The president during this part of the story is Dwight D. Eisenhower, not Richard Nixon, as you guys mentioned a few but times. He was in it. I don't think we mentioned that Nixon was president. He was in it. We did mention that Nixon was in the story, mm. uh, and I think we did know that he wasn't president at this point. Even Wonder Woman says. But Nixon. if we did, yeah. it was a mistake. But we knew that we did. We did it not on purpose. Honest. Honest. Honest, Governor. As such, Eisenhower stopped Wonder Woman in her tracks when talking about policy takes on a different connotation. As a retired general, Eisenhower was big on proper procedure and chain of command. I read it as him quieting Wonder Woman because it was not the right way to go about it. You don't speak that freely in front of the commander-in-chief. Batman scurrying the kid in the bust plays really well in the movie. His later line of, let's say that I started doing this to scare criminals, not children, 
is really telling and illuminates a thought I've had for a long time. That if not for Dick Grayson entering his life when he did, Batman would have gone off the deep end a long time ago and become no better than the psychopaths he fights. Robin... Dick, specifically, was a grounding agent, a tether to reality, and a reminder that there is more to life than the night. I have heard Darwin Cook talk about the decision to make Wonder Woman taller than Superman, with the idea that, as Andy says, she's an Amazon. She should really be bigger than Big Blue. Hence why Cook put her on top of a table when she and Superman are first together in the room, so that when she gets down off the table, it's a surprise reveal for the reader that this statuesque warrior towers above the Man of Steel. I love the bit with the Flash in Vegas. Loved this in the movie as well. Perfect encapsulation of everything that's great about Barry Allen as the Flash. We thought that was brilliant, didn't we? Uh, certainly I did. That gave me a giddy. I know. I know. It made me go, <laughs> you know, like Frank Gorshin used to do in the Batman TV show. <laughs> Riddle me this, Batman. I got very excited. I know. We know. Everyone in the house knows. Yes, yes. I also really enjoyed seeing the challenges of the unknown. Despite being one of the original stars of the Silver Age, the challenges get practically no love from DC. As such, I really enjoyed the recent turn in DCU Presents by Dan DiDio and Jerry Ordway. We've not read that. No, we've not. Is it good? I've not read it. Excellent. Yes, we just established that. Anyway. <laughs> And that you mentioned that both Lois Lane and Carol Ferris were career women rather than secretaries or the like. To this list, I would also add Iris West, Sheila Hall, and Jean Loring. Iris, of course, was a reporter for the picture news, and Jean was an attorney, in addition to being a certifiable man-hating lunatic. Sheila's job of assistant museum creator is not as exciting as the others. Oh, I don't know. I think that's quite an interesting job. But she also got to dress up in costume a few pages into each issue and fly around smashing aliens with a weapon, so there is that. That would be quite an interesting sideline, yeah. <laughs> if that's part of the job description. Yeah. Invaders from Mars was a favourite of mine when I was a kid, but yeah, it's pretty silly in parts when you get down to brass tacks. Still a classic in my book. I always preferred uh, This Island Earth as a kid. Sorry, it's simply because they had cool aliens in it. And War of the Worlds and Forbidden Planet. Of those, I think only really Forbidden Planet holds up in the cold light of the 21st century. Mm. That's my opinion. War of the Worlds is still fun. But I'm still very, very annoyed we have never had a proper adaptation of War of the Worlds, given that that is one of my favourite books. He spends half the book. No, I mean, set it in turn of the century Victorian England. Do it. Do it as a proper adaptation. But if he had follow the book up, he'd spend half the movie in the house with a dog that dies. But that's the point we've made in translating books to film. You couldn't. You would have to rip it apart and do it again. It'd be a pretty bad ending. And then I went to London wanting and to kill myself, died. but everyone was dead anyway, and the aliens were gone, and I thought, oh, well, let's go home. <sighs> Looking forward to more New Frontier, Luke. Thank you, Luke. I always appreciate your emails. Uh, our final email... Oh, Keith's back. Keith Hedrick's back. Hi. Hello. After re-watching a part of the animated adaptation of The New Frontier with a commentary by Darwin Cook, I'm 98%. <laughs> Is the two percent? There's a two percent there that he's not sure yeah. about. Convinced that Rex Tyler does not die in the book. Beyond what I wrote about in my other email, Cook seems to back this up on the commentary for the animated feature. Cook states that Faraday was removed from the scene where his team attempts to capture the Flash. Cook then mentions something about the capture, not the death of Rex Tyler. Just thought you may find that interesting. Thanks for your time and the great podcast, Keith Hedrick. Oh, thanks for that, Keith. We're going to have to dig out my absolute again there. So wait. We? Our man didn't die. Uh, Keith is 98% certain that our man did not die. I'm pretty sure I saw him and read that he died. Uh, We'd have to check that out because he's saying in the commentary Darwin Cook is saying that he didn't. So we would have to check that out. And Darwin Cook would know. And Darwin Cook would know. Yeah, he wrote the book. So we'd have to to double check on that. We're going to be reading the book for like hours to come now, aren't we? I don't mind reading New Frontier. Like if nothing else, you just look at the the artwork. Mm. Um, Before we go to a quick break and on to the main event tonight, which is everything you know will change in a flash. 
Uh, we've got a couple of things to mention. The contracts have all been hammered out. Have they? Yes. The Demanzo Corporation lawyers have been round mm-hmm. with their Asian hookers. And uh, we've signed our lives away to them. <laughs> oh, <can't> in perpetuity. <laughs> For the next 406 <laughs> years. And a fluffy coat on one of those pimp hats. Yes. <laughs> Just Scott, up, bitches. Scott and Chris came around dressed like LA rappers. <laughs> Yo, bitches. What are you talking about? You're joining two true freaks. The man's only needed to sign your soul away. Scott Dog. Scott Dog. <laughs> and Chris H. Crazy Chris, eh? I like that. That could be their uh... Crazy Chris and the Scott Dog. <laughs> Crazy Chris H and the Scott Dog. <laughs> yes, they came round. Two true pimps. <laughs> oh, that's even better. <laughs> oh dear me. Anyway, they came round with the contracts that are all signed, and as of last week that you're hearing this, our old episodes will be going up on the Two True Freaks feed. The plan is that after summer, we will start migrating new episodes to the feed as well, as well as still being on Podomatic. And then in the new year, new episodes will appear exclusively on the Two True Freaks feed. What about our website? Uh, The website will stay the same. Right. It's only we're changing our feed to the feed because Libsyn archives episodes. Right. So we don't have to worry about so episodes So we're not going to update new episodes onto our website? Onto no? Podomatic, we are going to update them onto the website. Okay. Okay, okay. So that will still be there. Uh, secondly, Chris and Scott have put out a plea to everyone that listens. They want to go to Star Wars Celebration, and they want to cover it for the show, but they have only been given one press pass. And they need money. And they need two, so they need some funds. I bought something through the Amazon link, which hopefully gave them a bit of money. Wait, do they only get money off Amazon if you buy something? You have thing? to go through the link on their website and they get a percentage of it because it's so called a referral. So you only have referral. to visit the thing. Yeah, right, you okay. go through their page, you don't pay any more money. Uh, but they've also got a tip jar, PayPal just tip jar. Just sit there clicking the link. No, no, you have to buy something through the link. All oh, right. It isn't just going through the link. Um, because I can't get to go to Star Wars Celebration. Where is it? In Orlando, Florida. Ah. But if they do get to go... I will at least get to hear about it. Oh, yeah. So if you've got any spur coinage, give it them. I'm sure they would appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, though, while I lubricate my throat. But Michael's doing most of the heavy lifting when we come back. Uh, and we're going to be covering Flashpoint. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com
putting my feet up and I'm turning it over to you. This week we're covering Flashpoint, a DC mega event that more or less reinvented the DCU. Mostly less. It was written by Jeff Johns and penciled by Andy Kubert and span out of Jeff Johns' Flash series. Before Flashpoint, though, with the help of Superman, Rip Hunter and Booster Gold, Hal Jordan travels through time to locate Bruce Wayne, who Rip has discovered is bouncing through time after he was killed by Darkseid. Is he hoping that each time his next leap will be the leap home and striving to put right what once went wrong? Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 Bruce Wayne, quantum leaps. <laughs> They are attacked by Reverse Flash for no reason in the time stream who flees quickly before they discover that Bruce has been at the vanishing point to return to his own time and then they discover a chalkboard covering strange messages. That was actually a very succinct synopsis mm. of a tedious six-issue miniseries. For this, you know what I planned on doing? What did you plan Because on? you've done all the heavy lifting, yep. I planned on reading the whole shebang. Because right. I wasn't going to make notes on all of it, just flashbacks. But I thought, no, I'll read all the tie-ins. I read that, and it bored me so much, I couldn't read anymore. Fair enough. Disappointing piece of work from somebody of Dan Jurgens' calibre. And it wasn't even a Superman story. It was a crap story, is what it was. Meanwhile, in Central City, someone on a motorbike flies through a portal looking for Barry Allen, who is alerted to him and pursues him, only to find that the biker is Barry Allen from another Earth. It has to save this Earth from a time anomaly, anomaly Banamana. as, it, as <laughs> this Earth is the keystone uh, to every other Earth in the multiverse. But Alan then shows up and says he's lying, but to the Barrett <laughs> says that he is the most risk of the time anomaly because he's from the future, and that the anomaly is directly connected to the Speed Force. He then leaves and drains the Speed Force from Flash Barry so he doesn't follow him. Later, it's discovered that Tother Barry is draining the life out of several heroes that are being studied by the police. And a Bert, what's a small child who is seen at the crime scene, turns into Reverse Flash. Tother Barry believes that Bert is causing the anomaly, but Flash Barry stops and they realise that the real anomaly is Reverse Flash. Reverse Flash kills Tother Barry and says that he's going to torment our Barry by altering time and disappears. Later that night, on Barry's mum's birthday, Barry stands at her grave and leaves as a yellow figure watches the lightning strike from left to right. See, it changes. It all changes. Do you know you could have summed all that up with wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey? I probably could have, yeah. <laughs> um, I did read that as well, because that was Flash the 6 two. through 12. It wasn't 6. Something like that. Yeah, it probably um, was, actually. That was better, but I felt that it ruined Flashpoint by knowing who the bad guy was. You know, I think Flashpoint is better if you don't know. Yeah, there is a little it, twist on that. Jesus, I'll give you yeah. that, yeah. Go on. We then return to Booster Gold, who has opened a fridge and has found his a... dead girlfriend in it. <laughs> He's found Zool. <laughs> there, is no de- there is no girlfriend in a refrigerator in Zool. <laughs> don't cross the streams. Open the fridge and is then sent to a world where Amazonians and Atlantean are at war with each other, with humans in the middle. The military see Booster as a threat and unleash Doomsday on him. He discovers that in this world there's no Captain Marvel, Batman is a cruel vigilante, and the Atlanteans sunk Europe. He's then arrested where he learns that the military also have a Project Superman, and sees the Flash fighting in Europe. He escapes the military and finds the Flash, but is sent back to his world where he writes the messages on the chalkboard. Right, see now I didn't read the Booster Gold six-parter, mm. and you said you should really because that's a bit important. It is for the little bits at the end of right. Time Masters. But given the previous time vanishing t- point, is that what it's called? Yeah. I just lost the will to live. Vanishing point is more of a companion piece to Return of Bruce Wayne. Right. Yes, it is. Mm. It, and it's kind of a, an... It's not an awful epilogue to Final Crisis. 
but it's an awful prologue to Flashpoint. Yes, and yeah. it's just a boring six issues, and it's six issues of wheel turning. It's six issues of we're here to fight Batman, but oh, we'll be distracted by the shiny, and then we'll get distracted by that shiny, and then we'll go home at the end of the six issues having not accomplished our goal. And I just thought, what? Mm. God, that was tedious. And now, finally, we get to the main series. Flashpoint issue one was written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Andy Cuba, inked by Sandra Hope, lettered by Nick J. Napolitano, Napolitano, and coloured by Alex Sinclair, who I am good buddies with. Are you really? I say Are good, you good buddies with Alex Sinclair? I say that, but you I'm, and him. What I really bros. Mean is I've spoken to him a few times on DeviantArt. Just smash fists together and go down the pub for a pint. We, I do. In a virtual reality world. Me, it? Alex Sinclair, and Jamal Eagle. I talked to both of them on DeviantArt. Excellent. Both are nice guys. I'm sure they'll Unlike love Jim Lee, who's never on it and doesn't talk to anyone because he's so, so high and mighty. Uh, maybe he's just busy. Give him benefit of the doubt. Busy doing what? It's not like he's drawing any comics. He's just had a baby. He's probably not sleeping. <laughs> I mean, he's not had a baby, obviously. That would be yeah, huge. Wife, can't she do it? Oh! <laughs> Carry on. It sported six covers. Six? It's six, yeah. One by Cuba of Barry running towards us as Aquaman, Cyborg, Batman and Wonder Woman stand tall over Gotham. The second is a pencil variant. Another is a red variant. And another is a black variant. Ivan Reese, George Perez and Rod Reese did a cover of Cyborg doing the Superman shirt rip in front of the American flag. And the final variant is by Cuba of the Flash in reverse Flash running towards us in the Flash emblem. Uh, modern comics and multiple covers. <laughs> uh, Michael, dynamite. it's not. No, Michael has this as the hardcover reprint of the story, and the dust jacket has the standard cover for issue one on it of the Flash, his costume all torn, speeding towards us as an unfamiliar version of Batman, Cyborg, and Aquaman and Wonder Woman look on symbolically, as Michael has mentioned. It's a pretty good cover by Andy Cuba, although in lieu of Superman, Batman has red eye. You think you can get that out with Photoshop? <laughs> um, the hardcover also has the, thank you very much Superman could learn a lesson he now. could though yeah the hardcover also has pencils variant which Michael has mentioned that like all pencils variants it's actually better than the real cover because we Real can be awed at how talented the artist if actually you is what's different ones, about it yeah? is the one for issue 3 I think it is especially yeah there is slight differences to where the inker is Change stuff. Change things. Yeah. All right, fair enough. There's another variant at the back by Ivan Rice and George Perez. There's very little George Perez in that one. You can still, to me especially, I can tell that he's there because I'm can familiar you? with Ivan Rice's pencils. Yeah. Right. See, I thought there was very little Perez in it. Mm. The cyborg standing in front of the flag, pulling a Superman shirt rip, which in truth has none of the power or symbolism of an actual Superman shirt rip, being as there's no definable logo on his chest, nor any of the iconography associated with this character performing this action. Yeah, but. So it's See, this, this time Flashpoint in the JLA that Jeff Jones is a real man crush on Cyborg for some reason. He does, doesn't he? He does, yeah. yeah I don't know why. Uh, it's fine as a piece of art, but it's quite a weak cover. If you take off the dust jacket, however, the best cover of the lot, labelled as the promotional variant inside the book itself, is printed on the actual hardcover. It's pretty damn sweet. Mm. The Flash logo covers both front and back cover, as the Flash run towards the crackling lightning around him on the front, whilst Reverse Flash, Professor Zoom, Eobard Thorne, runs towards us on the back. It's the best cover of the lot. It is. It was one of them things, I took the dust jacket off your graphic novel so as not to damage the dust jacket mm. because obviously you're reading it and you're putting it around and all that stuff and I took the dust jacket off and saw that cover and was like why did they not just put this on the cover Yeah, because it's awesome it does help that it doesn't have any copy on it yeah. no cover copy on it blighting it 
So the story begins. Barry Allen wakes up in the police department. They've been working 18-hour shifts, trying to get evidence that Central City's hero, Citizen Cold, murdered Miss Alchemy. Strange, though, Barry doesn't know who Miss Alchemy is, and nobody knows who the rogues are. A call comes in saying Cold and the Pied Piper are having a shootout outside the Citizen Cold Museum. Barry rushes into action, but realises he has no powers and his ring's missing. He trips over, falls down some stairs, and lands right in front of his mum, who's come to be picked up by Barry, who's promised to take her out on her birthday. After a moment of holding his mum, he tells her he's the Flash, but she doesn't know who he is, or who Superman is, or the Justice League. But Batman? Of course she knows Batman. Who hasn't? <laughs> in comics as it is in life. Currently, the Batman is chasing a criminal, a known accomplice of the Joker, Yo-Yo, across the ledge of Wayne Casino, where he interrogates her over the location of Joker and Harvey Dent's twins. She slips and falls down into an alley where she's caught by Cyborg, who then confronts Batman. He tells him they need his help, and when Batman asks who, Cyborg creates holograms of other people and calls a meeting to discuss the war with the Atlanteans and the Amazonians. After they all bicker about not getting along with each other, they all vote. The Outsiders in, so's called Sandman, Abin Sir, if the Guardians allow it, Element Woman, The Secret Seven, and Captain Marvel, or Thunder, after what Wonder Woman did to him. However, Batman's out and decides to leave, and with that, the rest take back their votes. Without Batman, it's suicide. Barry leaves his mum for a moment as he looks for Iris Allen in the Central City Citizen offices. He asks for Iris Allen but can only find where Iris West is, who is planning to go behind enemy lines just like Lois Lane, and is with another man. Shocked, Barry leaves. He returns to his mum outside, who's being watched by Reverse Flash. Barry asks, does he have a car? And when he hears the answer, he asks, can he borrow his mum's? After sitting through some heavy traffic, Barry drives to Wayne Manor in a decrepit old building that's been abandoned for a long time. He moves the clock and walks down into the cave. He sees a table with a glove, utility belt and crossbow on it, a pistol encased on a stand in a glass jar, and a portrait of the Waynes. Batman pins Barry to the wall, who tells him to stop. Barry says who he is, and after calling Batman Bruce Wayne, he is told that Bruce is dead. Barry realises that Batman is none other than Thomas Wayne. Which is quite an interesting reveal after reading Night of Owls. It is. Isn't it? Mm. Where essentially they play with the... Ooh, we best not say I don't guess we're yeah. spoiling Night of Owls for anybody. Uh, flashpoint. Um, as Michael knows, I'm quite the sucker for alternate reality show stories. So I was actually quite predisposed to liking this before anyone jumps down my throat about not liking the new DC-52 and... Like Michael, I don't you want to slag off the New World Order. You did take every opportunity to slag this off, though. Yeah, when I hadn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you cake now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The opening pages established that this is our Barry Allen, resurrected and following the continuity of Flash Rebirth, which established that he had two distinct memories rattling around in his head. One where his mum is dead, the other where his mum is alive. As a reader, we're thrown into a nightmarish situation where Barry is the only recognisable element, and even that is twisted as Barry is not the Flash and has no superhuman powers. It's very reminiscent of the Star Trek The Next Generation episode yesterday's Enterprise, where the audience familiarity with the cast and the regular status quo were turned on their head with, a, with little explanation. I quite liked it, yeah. to begin with. Um, the flashback sequence was used in Flash Rebirth. What, the page one? Well, the one, yeah, the one where his mum's fixing the car. Right. It's used quite a lot. It's exactly the same as it is here, word for word. Is it not just photocopied from Flash Rebirth? It's, it's not, because this is 
Different artwork. Yeah. Right, okay. He's taken the Bendis approach to writing. Yeah. So he probably just photocopied his script yeah. and gave it to the artist. There you go. Another paycheck for a page I've already written. Excellent. Um, the recap covers his origin and wedding, but completely forgets Crisis on Infinite Earths, Final Crisis, and Rebuff, even though page 3, panel 3 is from Rebuff. What do you mean it forgets them? It doesn't mention them at all. It co- it goes from the wedding straight to Flash Rebirth. So it does. It doesn't mention Crisis and Infinite Earths and him dying. It doesn't mention him dying or coming back. No. And being resurrected. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, the voice of the monologue is only revealed at the end of the issue as Batman. However, the caption boxes appear as though they are written on lined paper. This is kind of sort of important, although we won't find out later in the last issue. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Very good. Here, Captain Cold is Central City's hero, known as Citizen Cold, and replaces Flash with his own museum, just like what Flash had. Everyone knows that Cold isn't what he says he is, but because of public opinion, the police can't touch him without solid evidence. Barry's mum was revealed to be killed by Reverse Flash in Rebirth. Uh, this was expanded in the Reverse Flash one-shot, which covers all the way Reverse Flash has tormented Barry over his life due to time travelling. Yeah, I, I read that as well mm. because I got confused because the cover of the one you have said issue one of three, but you said no, it's a one shot. It's a one shot. So I got a bit confused by that. Um, we do get a little brief appearance by Reverse Flash in this issue, which teases it a bit which more. Which teases it a bit more. He runs right past Barry's mum and says, "How nice to see you alive and well, Mrs. Allen." Mm. And that's pretty much it, isn't it? It is. We don't, he's, he we doesn't don't. appear again until issue 5, does he? Mm. So I quite liked that. <clears throat> Even in a world without Two-Face, Harvey Dent is still clouded by twos and has twins. The Joker, Dent's twin stories continued in the Flashpoint Batman miniseries. I've not read that. Is it worth reading? It's worth reading. Was it good? Mm. I well, I, I actually, I mean, I'm going to get into it further on, but I really dug Batman in this. Mm. I really did like him. It, it does have quite a shocking twist ending, but yes. I'm, I'm going to ruin it for you in this anyway. Yeah, yeah, we will be spoiling Flashpoint. Yeah. So, sorry about that. I've been served live and well, which means right from the start we will not see Hal Jordan as Green Lantern. No, I, I spotted that quite early on as well. Uh, Captain Marvel, well, Thunder is separated into the five children rather than just Billy Batson. Each child has their own individual power, such as Wisdom, Solemn, Strength of Hercules and so on. Yeah. Uh, I recognise some of the people that Cyborg brings in to recruit Batman to the little party. Abin Sur, as Michael's mentioned, is still Green Lantern. Captain Cold is Citizen Cold. Uh, the powers of Captain Marvel seem to be split amongst seven different children here. Uh, the original Sandman still yeah, seems seven. to be around. Uh, Shade is here, along with Element Woman. I have no idea who she is. Um, she is... I think I mentioned this in my notes later on, but she is Element Girl. Is she a Legion of Superheroes woman? No, she's, you know, Element Man. Yeah. It's just the same right. powers as him. But, but a girl. She, right. she has been along, alive for a while, until Neil Gaiman got his hands on her. Right. Pied Piper. Um, but big yay, Tawny's here. Mm. Tawny the Tiger. And has shaved the change of mind. Yeah. Can we just say that the Enchantress, her outfit is incredibly implausible, isn't it? It is. She looks like Elvira. How does she run in that top without giving us an eyeful? <laughs> More importantly, why does she not run in that top thus giving <laughs> us an eyeful? That would make for a much better comic book. <clears throat> she's she's the antagonist in the first story arc of Just Sleep Dark as well. Is she? Mm. Why do both Marvel and DC have a bad guy called the Enchantress? 
don't know. No, okay. Just one of those lucky questions. The first story I could just sleep dark is some creepy ass stuff. I'll probably read it one day. Captain Thunder is a nice little nod to the Bronze Age. Yeah. When Superman would fight Captain Thunder instead of Captain Marvel and Captain Strong instead of Popeye. Because DC didn't have the rights to those characters. Uh, Lois Lane being behind enemy lines will be expanded upon in the Lois Lane and the Resistance miniseries and later on in the main series. Yeah, I mean, the only problem we're having with this lovely listener is there are no goddamn page numbers in this goddamn book again. So it's like... So we just couldn't be bothered counting the pages. Do you know the thing with the collective edition like this would page numbers not kind of ruin it a bit? There were page numbers in Absolute New Frontier. That's because... That didn't seem to bother us. In fact, it was very helpful. It was. When we were doing our recap like that. The, the way absolutes... The page layout on absolutes and the way they work in a normal hardcover like this are a little different. Yeah, I suppose so. I do like that in whatever reality you're in, Lois Lane's a troublemaker. Mm. <laughs> I can get behind that. Cold mentions that if a man steps a foot in the UK, then he's singing soprano. I, I, I took great issue with that. Did you? Not unsurprisingly. <laughs> Um, G-A-V-O's. I, I have to swell that, yeah. Uh, but I, I have to say, there's no way in hell a bunch of Amazons could take the East End of London as this panel as easily as this panel makes it seem. There are far too many armed bastards there to make that even remotely plausible. But if they did, there's not a cat in hell's chance they'd take Liverpool and Manchester. <laughs> you saw the riots last summer. We just tear them apart. Yeah. Not having no Amazon wenches just marching in here. No way that'd a fight, dude. <laughs> oh, we just get Louis Spence on them. Watch the confusion <laughs> on the faces. <laughs> Watch them walk Shove Louis Spence in front of them and say, there you go, cut him to bits. We'll go off, we'll go off America. Yeah, just take him. <laughs> we don't want him. Yeah. Um, two conflicts during the meeting will be continued in other miniseries. Pied Piper and uh, Cold in Citizen Cold and The Outsider and Blackout in The Outsider. Right, fair enough. Um, it has to be said, the art's gorgeous. Mm. in this first issue. No more so than on the two-page splash of the Batman over Gotham. A much more neon-strewn Gotham than we're used to seeing. The Batman has red, glowy eyes. Well, Superman's not in the issue, so I suppose somebody had to. A red belt and a red circle beneath the Bat logo. It's an exceptional piece of work. Um, There's a lot of Bagley Mm. in this. Did you not think? Yeah. Or Bagley's influenced by Cubert. Mm. I suppose, unless he went to the cube at school. That's always possible, isn't it? Thomas Wayne's approach to being Batman is sort of similar to Gene Paul's. He's brutal to the point of nearly murdering criminals and has completely forgotten about the manor living in his casino penthouse instead. There is a very definite Jean-Paul Valley vibe to this Mm. Batman. He's not quite as... I'm going to flat out murder Yeah. He's not quite crossed that line. Although there is an implication that he's quite happy to murder people. Yeah. But he's not as insane or as childlike as Jean-Paul. He's a very sane, brutal Batman. He's a very sane, insane person, if that makes any sense. Um, I do love that Batman pursued Yo-Yo, who I presume is the Joker's hench girl in this reality in lieu of Harley Quinn. And she slips off the building to her death. Close, br- uh, close quotation yeah, marks. Yeah, close quotation marks. Uh, and gets saved by Cyborg. It's made clear that this Batman has been around a lot. And when he's around, a lot of people slip off buildings. Mm. Uh, the revelation that Batman is Thomas Wayne is very cool. Because obviously I didn't know any of this. I had not read this before. I hadn't been spoiled for it. Have you not? More importantly. Not even with all the memes on the internet. Not even with all the memes. On- no, I don't take any notice of that filth. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Um, if you read every bloody meme on the internet, you'd never get any work done. Oh, but some are funny. Some are funny, some are just... Are you going to stop doing this now? <laughs> um, I, I didn't see that coming. Do you know? I'll be honest, he really did get me with that cliffhanger. I thought it was it was very well played by Mr. Johns. Ties in quite well with the new Night of Owls, which we've mentioned. Mm. Uh, I did enjoy this first issue a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. I haven't read any of Flashpoint before Michael suggested it for the show. I have to say this was a fast-paced introduction to today with some excellent art. Ignoring the obvious bunkum of the Amazons being able to take the UK in one panel. <laughs> I quite liked this. In preparation for the show, I read Flash 9 through 12 and Time Masters. I've mentioned I thought Time Masters was duller than dirt and didn't bode well for the series. And Flash gave too much away about Professor Zoom, revealing the antagonist prematurely. But, you know, I may give some more of the tie-ins a look based upon what's going on here. But what's occurring, Michael? That is a good question. What is happening here? It's not a parallel Earth. It's not a mirror world. This is home. This is real. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on between Wonder Woman and Aquaman? Where's Superman? What's Lois Lane doing behind enemy lines? Why is Abin Sir alive? Well, let's go back to what happened before issue one. (laughs) 30 years ago, General Lane and the military created their own Superman from Lieutenant Sinclair, who would grow to become something like Project 6, Doomsday. He grew out of control 27 years ago, Metropolis was hit by a meteor shower, and a small ship with a baby in it was found. They tested on him, and Sam Lane grew an attachment to him, the son he never got 7 years ago when Lois was born. When Luthor arrives to take an alien ship and get a jump on Queen Enterprises, Sinclair possessed Crypto to kill several soldiers and Lex, who was pushed in front of the dog by his own father to save his life. So is Lex dead? Lex Luthor, yeah. Right. His dad's not, because he killed Lex to, so right. he would live. So there's the, the flip side there, where Lex killed his parents in our universe. Yeah, his parents killed him. Right. Uh, with the help of Sinclair, Cal manages to escape from his imprisonment. He was almost killed by Sinclair until Lane intervened and they both went to the Phantom Zone. With someone else now in charge, Cal was thrown back into his cell. Fourteen years ago, Diana of Themyscira set off an adventure at sea where she was attacked by a Kraken. With the help of a strange man named Arthur, they defeated it, but its venom poisoned her and he took her to his home in Atlantis. A month later, the Atlanteans returned Diana to Themyscira where she and Arthur revealed that they would join the two nations by marrying each other. One year ago, on their wedding day, everyone but Arthur and Diana told them that they disagree with the wedding, and intending to kill Diana, Hippolyta was killed by an Amazonian, but she quickly fights Garth, an Atlantean who finds her, and frames him for the assassination. Garth was Aqualad. Just pointed that out. He was killed, and the Amazonians told the Atlanteans to leave. Later that night, two Amazonians say that they must tell Orm that their mission was a success and the Union is in tatters. Orm. Elsewhere, Oliver Queen is attacked by Vixen's daughter, and his daughter, but she's killed by his security guards. The Atlanteans enter Themyscira once in more in order to stop the war, but Mera, Arthur's actual wife, detonated several bombs planted all over the island. The Atlanteans fled and Diana detonated the self-destruct on the island and the Amazonians escape in the invisible plains. They requested shelter in the UK and were denied, so they decided to attack the country and overpower it. Eight months ago, Atlanteans led by Mera attacked New Themyscira but were all killed. The death of Mera led to Arthur to use the Geopulse device to sink Europe. Lois Lane was with Jimmy Olsen covering a fashion week in Paris when the continent was sunk. They fled to higher ground in a church but Jimmy was killed trying to save a man who fell over. Later an Amazonian took the women and children and took them back to New Themyscira, which now towers above the ocean due to terror being with the Amazonians. 
Upon arrival in London, Lois realised that Jimmy's camera was a communication device with Cyborg. Apparently he was on a mission to meet the resistance in the UK, a job that Lois took over. She infiltrated the Amazons and then escaped with the help of a member of the resistance, but they were surrounded. Elsewhere, Etrigan and his team of demons and outcasts and the resistance tried to escape from the pursuing Amazonians with the help of Canterbury Cricket. He told them his origin story whilst they recovered, but the Amazonians found them out and they killed one of the team. Amazonians look at the helm of Naboo, the helmet of Dr. Fate, who is travelling with Haley's circus. Then in Poland, the circus was attacked. In the attack, Murray Grayson and Shark were killed. The survivors escaped and were helped by Vertigo. John Grayson and the man wearing the helm of Naboo were killed. In his dying breath, John makes Boston Brand promise to look after Dick. In order to find the runaways and help them, the Amazonians got Starfire to burn down the town. The survivors all fled, but were attacked and killed, except for Dick Grayson. He managed to escape the Amazonians with the help of Deadman, and joined the resistance, becoming the new Doctor Fate. In Africa, that has been massacred by President Grodd, Grodd killed the human leader of Africa and decided to send his armies to war against the Atlanteans and the Amazonians, praying that it would be suicide. Elsewhere, Heatwave killed Jason, 50% of Firestorm, and then was arrested by Cyborg. He was put into Queen's Row Penitentiary, which was once Legion of Doom. He was joined by the Clue Master, but was put out of action when Plastic Man crawled out of his mouth. They recruited more prisoners and tried to escape, but was stopped by another group of prisoners. They unleashed Animal Man on them, but was killed by Heatwave. Amazon, the guard, showed up, but Amazon was taken care of when Plastic Man pulled out the atom of his head and was killed. The criminals picked Pulled the atom out of his head? The atom was controlling Amazon. Right. Amazon's a machine like Gundam Wing. Right. And sat in his brain. So what was Plastic Man doing in Clue Master's mouth? He smuggled him in. Okay. So <laughs> Clue Master smuggled in Plastic Man right. so Plastic Man could help Heatwave break out of prison. And Plastic Man had the atom in his head. No, Amazon had, had the atom in his head. Yeah. Okay. Alright. The criminals picked up all their gear and Heatwave sent the flying prison straight into Detroit. Plastic Man tried to stop Heatwave but was melted. Cyborg diverted the prison to crash into the ocean and beat Heatwave, arresting him. In prison, via his cellmate, Plastic Man got his revenge on Heatwave. In space, as the blackest night raged on, Sinestro told Abin Sir that Kilowog is being killed by Necrom. Abin went to the Guardians who told him to retrieve the right entity on Earth and not to interfere with what's happening. However, he turned his back on the Guardians and went down to help anyway. On Yuzmalt, <laughs> Sinestro visited Atrocitus to hear about the Flashpoint Prophecy instead of the Blackest Night Prophecy. <laughs> on Earth, Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris were attacked by a Shark Man thing working for Ackerman, but was defeated by Jordan. On another flight, Jordan crossed paths with an unknown ship that crashed. After checking the craft, Jordan found Abin Sir. Cyborg showed up and Abin was taken in, where he was given medical attention. Abin told Cyborg that he was here to help save the world and was shown to the world by the President. The Guardians told Abin that he was to find the White Entity immediately or be stripped of his ring. Later, upon searching for the flooded France, Abin was attacked by Sinestro, who wanted to save the universe, knowing about the Flash and the Flashpoint. Ferris Airfield was attacked by the Amazonians who dropped a Hydra on them. After killing the Hydra, Jordan is chosen by the President to drop the Green Arrow bomb on the UK. So that's everything that happened before issue one. But now we move on to what's happened after issue one. Why? There's a lot of backstory on this one, isn't there? There is. The Outsider steps off his holographic pad into his industry and is attacked by the Rising Sun, but he kills all the attackers. Elsewhere, Enchantress tracks down Shade who killed a Black Orchid Vision and blew up a diner. Shade is tested on in Meta where it's believed that he killed the previous Secret Seven. Shade says he doesn't remember them dying. He thought they committed suicide. 
Shade escapes Meta, who is surrounded by Enchantress, but when he looks into her mind, she turns into June Moon. In Central City, Sitten Cole sets up an interview over lunch with Iris West, and he learns that his sister killed his father. He learns that Wally West was spying on him and kills him. While this happens, the rogues plan on escaping from Iron Heights. Abracadabra reveals the name of the Secret Seven, while Shade gathers and kills the current Seven, whilst being haunted by the old Seven. <laughs> Once they are all dead... What and- about the Magnificent Seven? Well, yeah. And the Secret Seven? <laughs> Once they are all dead, Enchantress reveals that she'd been working for the Amazonians and was ordered to kill the Seven to make sure they don't get in the way of the Amazonians. The rogues break out of Iron Heights and are hunted down by Cold, whose sister has just been killed by the rogues. Beaten, Cold manages to drive to Iris West, who finds two plane tickets to Dubai for him and her while he sleeps on the couch. Once recovered, Cold hunts and kills the rogues and returns to his apartment, only to be killed by Iris, who has found out that he killed Wally. There's a lot of killing going on in this. There is. In the oceans of Europe, Deathstroke and his crew on the Ravager hunt for Deathstroke's daughter. On the way, they raid a prison and find more loyal additions to his crew. However, they make a fatal mistake of travelling too far inland. And now we move on to issue two of the main series, (laughs) again by Johns Cuba and the rest of the crew on issue one. The cover was of Batman pulling the switches as Flash sits in an electric chair. A pencil variant, a red variant, and Ivan Reese and George Press variant of Wonder Woman holding the decapitated head of Mera. <sighs> um, I quite like the, the proper cover. The cover yeah. plays a little bit with the reader. Batman has strapped the Flash to an electric chair and is about to throw the switch, which is technically what happens in the issue, but the circumstances are given a much more sinister spin on the cover. Flash isn't in his costume inside, but the only thing missing from this cover is speech bubbles. <laughs> and now, Flash, with the flick of my wrist, I send you to hell. Yeah, no! yeah, in every other respect, this would have made a great cover for Brave and the Bold in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, you put a speech bubble on that, and I condemn you to death, Flash! And Batman pulling the... That's pretty... And then you'd have, like, a Julius Swatch box. Can this be true? Yeah. Is Batman really sentencing the Flash to death by electric chair? That, that's and then in the cover. issue, you find out that Batman's being tied up by um, Harvey Dent. <laughs> and Two-Face is actually Batman. How does that work, then, Ted? You put makeup on that. Oh, right, right, yeah. okay. um, the pencils variant is, again, much better than the actual cover, because I just like looking at people's pencils and wishing I could draw like that. But alas, I can't, because I'm no good at stuff like that. Um, the variant where Wonder Woman holds Mera's decapitated head for all to seize by Reese and Perez, because if the new DC is famous for anything, it's the amount of decapitations that occur. Uh, I'm really impressed by how Wonder Woman managed this decapitation without cutting Mera's hair. Yeah. But that seems to be the way of things in comics, doesn't it? It does. It's always a perfect slice. They always manage to nip the head in, clean in off go. in one go, and the hair never gets cut, <laughs> which I thought was very weird. The story for this one. Before they can turn the ship around, the Ravager is boarded by Aquaman and Arm, who leave behind no survivors. In the Batcave, Batman beats Barry, not believing anything he says until Barry jumps back as his old memories and new memories merge. Suddenly, Barry's ring falls along the floor. He explains to Wayne that inside is his costume, but as he opens it up, Reverse Flash's costume comes out. He explains to Wayne that Reverse Flash has the ability to change time to taunt Barry, and that he has to change it back. Wayne is reluctant to help and believe Barry until Barry explains that in his timeline Bruce is alive. But first things first, Barry needs his speed before he forgets all of his memories. In London, Steve Trevor is escaping from Amazonians but is captured by Wonder Woman, who uses her lasso to get the truth out of him. 
Trevor tells her that he is here to rendezvous with Lois Lane, which confirms that the Amazonian's belief that Cyborg is a resistance agent in New Themyscira. On the roof of Wayne Manor, Barry places the chemicals that once turned him into the Flash on an electric chair that he's rigged with the lightning rod during a storm. Despite being called crazy, Barry sits and waits until he's hit, sets on fire and burned all over his body. Yeah, that didn't work out too well for him, did it? It didn't, no. Uh. Um, the first sequence is a direct repeat of Deathstroke and the Ravager 1 with a few minor tweaks. So Jeff Jones just copied and pasted his script again, did he? More or less, yeah. It, it ends here. Right, so Ravager ends on page four. Yeah. With him arriving in Paris. Mm. Well, once again, we get to a destroyed uh, Eiffel Tower, <laughs> like we did in New Frontier. Yeah. And once again, like Team America, I can't take that seriously <laughs> because of Team America. Yeah. Puppet shagging! <laughs> um, seeing Deathstroke as a pirate was pretty cool, mm. as was Electric Eel's skeleton showing when he that used is, his powers. That is a good tie-in. Yeah, that's, that's really quite good, that. Um, the reveal of Reverse Flash's costume being in Barry's ring is not just Reverse taunting him, but is also foreshadowing the twists of the series and throwing out questions about the ending of the Flash series. So where did the ring come from? Did Barry have it on him all the time? Well, Barry mentions that he could be the Reverse Flash could be watching him at the moment, but if there is a slight twist with the end of the Flash series with the yellow costume, hmm. that could have been Barry. Right. See, with the end of the... I, I kind of can't say this without ruining the end of the series, really. Well, we're going to ruin it when we get there. Say Flash went a bit... Say Barry went a tiny bit crazy. Because of the death of his mum. Because, of, yeah, that he then pretended to be reverse Flash and so did this. Is that... That's not what happens at the it's end. Not, Barry... It's not... It's a theory. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Either way, it's... Barry still did do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Thomas Wayne's only driving force the death of Bruce and the Joker. He blames himself for what happened to uh, his wife and his son Bruce. But even though he's reluctant to help Barry, he'll do whatever it takes, no matter how much he doesn't believe it, just to attempt to save his son. What happened to his wife and his obsession with the Joker are all followed up in the Flashpoint Batman series. Which you, sir, should have read. <laughs> Which is very good. Which yeah. I'm actually tempted to read simply because I really did like this version of Batman. Yeah. Um, the scene between Barry trying to explain what has happened and Thomas Wayne trying not to think that Barry's a nut job is actually very interesting. I'm presuming from what we're given here that this Batman is very much a vigilante breaks heads Batman yeah. as opposed to the detective that his son would become relying very much on intimidation and violence rather than fear and stealth. However, when he learns that in Barry's world Bruce lives he's willing to throw all of this away to see if he can bring Barry's reality back and he really does commit to it wholeheartedly, doesn't he? Yeah. Once he thinks that Bruce is alive, he doesn't care about this entire reality. Hmm. He just wants to throw it all away. Well, now I would argue he doesn't know it's real. His reality is no realer than Barry Allen's at this point. Hmm. It's the problem I had with the new Star Trek film. In every other iteration of Star Trek, the point of the story has always been to put the timeline back. Yeah. Whereas in the new one, it was, ah, well, this is our timeline now, let's just deal with it. Hmm. Whereas in this, again, the story is to put the timeline back. Yeah. But as far as he's concerned, as far as Thomas Wayne's concerned, this is real. This is real, yeah. So it, it does seem, it does show... Whether his, it's real or not, though, he'll still... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Bruce's, he doesn't yeah. care about all the other lives in this earth as long as Bruce gets to live. Mm. So he's Which a very different Batman. Very similar to Barry as well. Yeah, really, I suppose. Well, that's why they probably pair those two together. Probably, yeah. Because the characters are playing off of each other and what they've lost and what they hope to gain. And 
what he's done and what he will do. Yeah. I did love Thomas's line, what kind of name is Eobard? Because mm. every time I read that, I wonder, where the hell is... Because I always think it's an anagram. Yeah. I always look at that and... Is that not an anagram of something and I'm just missing it? Um, the twist end of this issue does raise a few questions about why a repeat of Barry's origin didn't work and what was so special about his accent that did give him his powers. Um... Well, he does it twice, doesn't he? He does. He does it the first time, and it basically fries him and gives him third-degree burns. Mm. And it's in the next issue that they try it again. Um, I'm, as you know, I'm in two minds on Jeff Johns, the writer. I appreciate that he's good. I appreciate his talent, but I do think he relies on shocking events and decapitations a lot. And it works. Well, it works a bit. This is the second issue in a row, though, that he suckered me with the cliffhanger. In every respect, I was expecting this loose cannon experiment to work and Barry to have his speed restored. I was not expecting him to be turned into barbecued flash. <laughs> it was a really good cliffhanger. Mm. I was quite impressed with that. It was quite a good issue. On the Ravager, Aquaman and Orm almost kill everyone on board until they move inland after Aquaman spots something of more interest. The surviving members all heal up and carry on their journey. On the way, they're attacked by Warlord, but blow his ship up. In India, the outsider raids Blackout's hideout on his own, where he finds Blackout and Black Adam, but is attacked by John Johns. In Gotham, Batman hunts for the Joker, a known child murderer who has kidnapped Harvey Dent's twins. His search leads him to the sewers, where he's attacked by Killer Croc, but Croc is killed. The next day, Jim Gordon is told by Selina Kyle, Oracle, that a pizza delivery man has been found dead in the canal and his car is still missing. Gordon finds the car and turns around to see that it's parked right outside of Wayne Manor. Batman tracks Gordon to the manor, but arrives to find that he has shot Harvey's daughter and he's been killed by the Joker, and demands to know what Martha has done this time. He saves the children and fights the Joker, whilst reminding her of the night Bruce died and relives her painful transformation into the Joker. So Martha Wayne's the Joker? Yep. Right. He calms her down and asks her permission to change history to save Bruce. She gives it to him, but runs away when she learns that Bruce becomes the Batman. She falls down a hole into a cave and dies. Batman turns away to check on the children and Barry. So she falls down the hole into the cave that Bruce fell down as a five-year-old. Yeah. That freaked him out. See, there's more backstory on it, but she went a bit crazy when Bruce died. Understandably. And there was all the thing where Thomas kept saying to her, it's done, you know, cheer up. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure he didn't say cheer up. No, he didn't. I'm sure he didn't say, yeah, it's tragic that you suddenly died. Get over it. He didn't, but um, there was... Because that would be insensitive. There was one bit where she he walks in and he, she's like giggling a bit and he's like, what's up? She turns around and she's cut her mouth and says, Luke, I'm smiling now. Oh, that's a bit, that's a bit squeaky. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I added the Barry Allen bit in just so it fits in with this a bit. Um... Deathstroke survives a mutiny with the help of a new recruit who went straight into his bed like a woman to James Bond <laughs> and runs into the caretaker on his ship who also has Deathstroke's daughter. We're so totally going to have sex, Miss Money. <laughs> he kills the pirate, saves his daughter, and they both live happily ever after with his newfound girlfriend. In the London Metro, a team of resistance led by Grifter defeat a pursuing group of Amazonians and turn a corner to find a lost Lois Lane. Now issue three. Oh, I read that one. Yeah, I read the Resistance three-parter. Did you? Because I wanted to know about more about the Lois Lane Resistance. Did thing. you read Lois Lane as well? Yes. Right. So I you read Lois Lane and the Resistance. Yeah. Did you read Canterbury Cricket? No, I just read Lois Lane and the Resistance. Did you read Emperor Ackerman? I haven't read any more. Wonder Woman and the Furies. I bought parts of any more. Did you not understand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cover for issue three is of Flash, Batman, and Cyborg looking shocked as they enter a holding cell of Project Superman. 
Again, there is a pencil variant, and the Reese Perez variant is of Aquaman looking all moody, surrounded by dead bodies in a, blo- a flooded Italy. The cover, as Michael has said, shows Flash Batman and Cyber burst into a holding cell with the S logo on it, stirring aghast at the occupant. Fun, but the pencils variant looks like Mike Waringo's work, doesn't it? See, that Flash face is very Waringo. And then look at the inked version, it's different. Who inked it? Sandra Hope, or yeah. did she do the colours? I think she'd be in, I'm not. Yeah, the pencils do look like Mike Waringo's work. The variants, again, by Ivan Rice and George Freeze shows a scar-faced Aquaman drowning innocent people, which is fun, I suppose. My only problem with that cover is it gives away that the Flash survives. Yeah. Because um, it is very possible in this alternate reality that, that Batman... He could have died, though. Yeah, Batman, and Batman carried on his mission. Yeah. Because it certainly wouldn't be beyond the purview of DC Comics at the minute that Batman is so cool he does not need anyone else. Yeah. So that was a perfectly valid... Path for the story to take at this point. Batman can beat Chuck Norris without thinking. But yeah, Barakas could beat Chuck Norris without (laughs) thinking. Um, But yeah, the cover kind of gives it away that the Flash is alive. Mm. I didn't appreciate that much, but well, you know, what are you going to do? In Detroit, the president tells Cyborg that he's out of time. Cyborg has failed to motivate the superhuman community into solving the issues in the UK, and so the president decided to turn the war into the military situation. He also tells him that a mole in the resistance has outed Steve Trevor. With third degree burns all over his body back at Wayne Manor, Barry's memories continue to change and so he convinces Batman to help him back onto the chair in the roof. With third degree burns over 70% of his body, Barry sits on the electric chair where he's instantly hit by a bolt of lightning which sends both him and Batman flying away. As Batman falls towards a spiked fence, Barry suddenly jolts and races towards him, saving him. He has his powers back and Batman finally believes him. Ish. One would hope so, <laughs> given that you stopped him from being skewered. Yeah. The speed force allows Barry to heal quickly. Batman hands him reverse his costume, and refusing to wear it, Barry makes a new red costume. The two try to find all the members of the Justice League. Barry tells Batman that he can't alter time because it's simply too dangerous, and time will always fix itself by altering history, and that if the first Flash did alter time, he would have changed the lives of the Leaguers so that Barry would have no one to help him. Wonder Woman, Aquaman are at war. Hal Jordan has not been given the power ring and due to Abin Sir not dying, and would be put in too much danger with the power ring, and Bruce Wayne died so he didn't become Batman, but there's already a solution to that. Barry then looks for Superman, and when he mentions crashing to Earth around the same time Bruce was born, Batman says that there was a meteor shower in Metropolis when Martha was pregnant with Bruce. The government claims it was a terrorist attack, but doesn't know what happened to the rocket. However, he does know someone who does. Batman and the Flash meet Cyborg on the roof of Wayne Casino, where Batman says he'll be Cyborg's strategist in the Wonder Woman Aquaman War, as long as he builds a team with who he wants, and he wants whatever arrived on Earth during the Metropolis meteor shower. He convinces Cyborg to hack into a classified government database where he learns about the project, Superman and Subject One. He tells Batman this, and says he can get him into the underground base. They sneak into the base underneath New Metropolis and avoid the skeleton crew guarding the large vault with an S on it. Once inside, the alarm triggers, and they find a tall but skinny and pale teenager. Cyborg deals with the oncoming guards while Batman and Flash escort Project One out of the facility. Once inside, Cal discovers he can fly and takes off as fast as possible, leaving his rescuers surrounded by armed guards. I quite liked that ending. Did you? Again, another, a, ending, another cliffhanger liked. ending that really worked. Because like, this isn't Superman who was raised by a happy Kansas farm couple. No. This is a Superman who's been kept up all his life, so the minute he sees freedom, he gets the hell out of Dodge. Mm. And you kind of buy it. And I liked that he was really skinny and pale. Because they kept him out of the sun. Yeah. Uh, Element Woman is new to Flashpoint after Element Girl's death in Sandman issue 20, where she's visited by death. She's quite, quite mad. 
and is followed inside book without him knowing it. Right, okay. Uh, Barry has a new memory that involves a bridge that leads to nowhere. A theory of mine is that it should lead to Keystone City, but because Christ on Earth never happened, and Central City and Keystone never merged, so they never became twin cities. Right, so even in... No, so I'm mixing that up with Flash. So in Flash Rebirth, did none of the crises happen? Yeah. But in this, no crisis has ever happened. You know in Christ on Infinite Earth, where the two Earths meld? Yeah. And Keystone and um, Central... Oh, yes. Cities. Yeah. Because in Flashpoint, crisis never happened, Right. my theory is that the bridge leading to nowhere should lead to Keystone, but Keystone isn't there. Right. Okay, fair enough. Uh, page 4 shows Bruce Wayne's grave uh, is on the manor grounds. Yeah, we, we mentioned that when we did Night's Quest or Night's End, didn't we? The, mm. the gravestone of the Waynes, whether they be the children or the parents, did move depending on what the writer well, the story wants. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the needs of the story outweigh the needs of logic. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, the scene where Barry flashes out in uh, like a Hulk out way and rescues Batman as he's thrown off the roof is fun but if you look at that panel carefully what's he running on? Does he not jump? But he was falling no, he's, so. he's, he's running he's very definitely running is he running on maybe the, he's running on the spikes but he's so or fast. he's running on the bits in between the spikes maybe ok that's not made terribly clear because he does manage to catch Batman just, just look in at time. the shiny art that. So, yeah, look at <laughs> don't, don't think about logic shiny with Jeff Johns logic has no meaning yeah I've just read six issues of Justice League I'm, I'm getting that <laughs> as with other repeats of scenes from Titans the scene with Lois and the Resistance is a tad bit different from uh, the time with issues is it in fact I do recall not mentioning that in my synopsis uh, I, don't, I don't recall this scene being in it as it is here but yeah I think it's just a, a little bit a little bit of tweaking to make it make sense in here. Mm. Uh, one of the fun things about alternative reality stories is taking characters and situations we think we know and spinning on them. The Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek, the Brigadier in an eye patch in Doctor Who, the South winning the American Civil War in Harry Turtledove's Guns of the South. Here we see a reality where Bruce Wayne died rather than his father. And given that in old Silver Age stories we saw that Thomas had a bat suit of his own, albeit for a costume party, it's not much of a stretch that he became the Batman. Hal Jordan's still a test pilot, as Abin Sir never died, but whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Mm an interesting question uh, you know, it's, it's become canon now yeah pretty much yeah. you know it's something we touched upon when we did Nightfall but there's something to be said for a more ruthless Batman mm. I'm not saying we turn Batman into an indiscriminate killer but I really did find myself enjoying Thomas Wayne as Batman here he's actually a lot more damaged than Bruce was yeah because at least Bruce still had Alfred around but it looks like Thomas had no one and has kind of snapped as a result he lies, he cheats, he's a take-no-prisoners kind of guy. And it's quite sad, really, that this kind of Batman is quite appealing yeah. in the 21st century. He's not crossed the line into he's not being 90s. insane. Yeah. yeah, he's... If this had been Batman instead of Jean-Paul, I'd have had quite a hard time saying I want the old one back. <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't mind a Batman that breaks her through heads. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's what we need. But at the same time, I don't like him killing people because the minute that he does that, he's crossed over a line, hasn't he? Mm. But is there not? Is there a Commissioner Gordon in this reality? Yeah. And is he not hunting him? No, he's the um, best buddy. He knows he's Batman. Oh, right. Okay. Is that mentioned in the tie-in? Yeah. Right. Not in the actual storyline? No. Okay, fair enough. Um, it's mentioned in The Outsider that Alfred was an agent of The Outsider but was beheaded when he was discovered in of the Of course he was. Yeah. It's a Jeff Johns comic book. <laughs> a 
At least they didn't have his nabs cut off. <laughs> Maybe they did that first. Oh, delightful. Uh, Cyborg mentions three projects being taken from the meteor shower. Cal is one, Crypto is two, and three could possibly be Kara. Other projects include Six, which is Lieutenant Sinclair, who is a massive Goku one <laughs> and Project Four is Doomsday. Right, okay. But we don't see Supergirl in any of these. No. Right, so we don't know what happens to her. Because nope. they dissect Crypto, don't they? They do. Which is not very nice. He's in... Um, the Project Superman crossover time, but he's killed after what happens with the Luthors. Right. All the best cowboys have daddy issues, mm. and Cyborg is no exception. And God, he doesn't shut up about it in the new Justice League. No, it? no, he doesn't. Yeah, I, I want to play football, but my dad don't take notes of me. He's too busy saving the world. Uh, as I've mentioned, poor Crypto. Mm. I wasn't happy about that. I've got a soft spot for Crypto. <laughs> I, I do like how Barry still calls Cal Superman, even though he never becomes Superman. I liked Batman's line, This is the most powerful being on the planet. Mm. When he looks at him, he sees this skinny kid. And even as a skinny kid, he probably still is the most powerful person. Yeah, once he gets exposed to, to the sun, yeah. It's a lovely little touch that this Superman's painfully skinny and has never seen the sun. As soon as he gets out of the cage, he bolts for freedom. Mm. Which, you know, I would. I wouldn't be inclined to help these people, would you? No, really. Uh, Johns gets another excellent cliffhanger out of this, and Flash, Batman and Cyborg are now surrounded by the military police with a fantastic last line. Flash, Cyborg and Batman have all those red laser dots on the mid familiar in the Terminator movie, and Batman just says, Now what? Which is <laughs> great. I just thought it was a brilliant ending. Mm. Superman just legs it. Lois Lane convinces Grifter that she's part of the Resistance and they head back to a secret Resistance base. Once there, they discover the location of an experimental Britannia armor and head to its location deep in the Amazonian London. But when they finally reach London, they're surrounded by Amazonians, sold out by Hyde, who is offered a cure in return for handing the Resistance over to the Amazonians. Frankenstein and the creature commandos wake up in stasis chambers. As they leave the facility, they walk past a huge and broken vault door with an S on it. They leave the base and head for Sloth Swamp in Gotham, but General Adams sends a monster assassin after them. They reach the swamp and find a map of Romania, and are attacked by the assassins but saved by Lady Frankenstein. They make it to Romania where they find out that everyone there is dead, and that they all hold the DNA for what made the creature commandos. The commandos decide to make the Romanian town their home, but fulfilling his promise to his wife, Frankenstein joins Shade and heads towards the war in the UK. Right, so with issue four, <laughs> is where we'll be mixing things up a little. Right. right. So along with doing the synopsis for issue four and five of the main series, I'll also be mentioning what's going on in the times, as this is when they all start happening at the same time. Oh, okay. I do like Element Girl. She reminds me of Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter books. Yeah. In that she's slightly mad. Only slightly. Your uniform is so red. And Batman's answer, she's as certifiable as everyone in Arkham. I love that. Anyway, carry on. So, Flashpoint 4 is by all the same people, with the cover of Flash lying helplessly under rubble as Wonder Woman and Aquaman both go in to kill him. It has its usual pencil variant and another variant by Rags Morales and Neil Ruffino of Captain Thunder and the Five Orphans and Talkie. Talkie Tony! Um, the lightning motif continues onwards on this cover. Is that on every cover? Uh, more or less. Uh, the Flash is surrounded by it and not looking too good. His costume's all torn and nasty, a scratches on his face. Uh, and Aquaman's about to stab him with his trident, which for some reason has five spikes. So I presume that would make it a... What What would five be? Wouldn't be a quadrant, that's four, isn't it? Um, a quintrate? A 
tenth looked. Okay. Um, Wonder Woman is about to stab him as well, so it isn't looking too good for the Flash. Uh, the pencil variant's better, as usual. Um, but the variant variant this time, as Michael mentions by Rags Morales, Captain Thunder standing menacingly with a scarred face, whilst the seven members of the Marvel family, if we count Tawny, are stood in front of him yodelling. Or yawning, it's hard to tell. Why, why are they all stood like that? I don't know. It's, the pen- it's a penitent. A penitent. And the penitent man will pass. Hal Jordan says goodbye to Carol Ferris, but she tells him that she'll be joining him in his redesigned F-35 with its green arrow bomb to fly into enemy territory and drop the bomb on New Themyscira. A French survivor with magical powers pays Madame Zanadu a visit. After that, she goes to her dad's office in Hive headquarters where she finds a map of the world and the endgame protocol satellite hovering above it in space. She tries to stop the group voting on the use of the satellite, but she's tranquilized and the countdown to the endgame starts. When she wakes up, she teleports around the world, meeting different people, and learns all life is sacred and the satellite must be stopped. Batman, Flash, and Cyborg are knee-deep in armed guards, and just when they are about to be beaten, the guards are taken out by Element Woman. Flash is then hit by a stronger wave of new memories, but Batman sedates him so that he doesn't forget Bruce. The Resistance fights the Amazonians while Lois makes it to Britannia armor and battles Wonder Woman. She shows her cages full of men, but Wonder Woman says she had no idea that the cages were there but knows who made them. Hal Jordan and a group of pilots fly to New Themyscira, but are attacked by Amazonians. Jordan and Ferris are the last few survivors. Hal convinces Carol that they'll both bail out the parachute down to safety after he launches a bomb. However, once she's falling, he's unable to drop the bomb. So he flies straight for New Themyscira's invisible shield, sacrificing himself to destroy the force field. In India, the Martian Manhunter gets his revenge on the outsider for doing painful testing for several years, but is killed very painfully. When he returns, he tells Cyborg he'll be joining them in the war. A small strike team led by Orm breaches New Themyscira, but are all killed except Orm. Aquaman sits in his ship just outside the island and is attacked by the Furies. Terra shows Wonder Woman, Orm, and Pendecelia are traitors to both Amazonians and Atlanteans, and were the cause of the assassination of Hippolyta around the war. Diana says she'll deal with them later after she speaks to Arthur. Cyborg, Batman, Flash and Elephant Woman arrive at the house of the Bex, or Marvels. Batman thinks that because Billy Batson helped the Sandman, he can help Flash with his mental problems. News comes in that Hal Jordan's dead, and that war has finally erupted in New Themyscira. Flash tells Batman that they'll have to help. If they can't find Reverse Flash, and this is the world we're stuck with, then they'll have to save it. Batman says that they either change it or let it burn to hell. Cyborg, the Marvels and Flash leave, and on the way out, Flash says, Bruce would have come. Batman tells Cyborg to tell the others to meet them though. That was a nice little bit, that. Diana convinces Arthur that they were set up, and they agree that whoever survives the duel with each other deal with the traitors. Arm and Penthesilia fight the Amazonians and escape from them. Orm detonates the bombs planted all over Atlantean fleets, and, and believing Diana lied to them, Volko sets off the geocannon on New Themyscira, and Arthur attacks Diana as they fight the two armies going for war. The group arrive in New Themyscira, and Captain Thunder goes straight for Wonder Woman to get revenge on after their last meeting. Cyborg goes after the bio bomb in the Atlantean fleet, and Flash goes for Aquaman. As Thunder has the upper hand, Enchantress uses the word Shazam against him and turns him back into the five children. Before he can get to his feet, Billy Batson is killed, and as the Flash looks up, he sees Reverse Flash. Look what you did, he says. If which was a pretty good ending. Yeah. Another, another ending which you, uh, which you didn't see coming. Um, that, I saw that one coming, yeah. because they'd already established Reverse Flash as having something to do with it in both the Flash and his own tie-in, and obviously he's seeded in, in episode one. Yeah, but we didn't learn it, was, we didn't, it revealed that it wasn't him. 
get later. We've not got what you did. Yeah, well, he could be lying though. He's the bad guy. <laughs> you don't take what the bad guy says to be truth, do you? <laughs> Unless he's Darth Vader, in which case Darth Vader is the only one who doesn't lie to you throughout the entire series of films. Whereas everyone that you think is your friend lies through their teeth at you. But normally. The bad guy is not to be trusted. Um, I did like the opening page, where basically the politician says that we'd hoped the superhumans would sort it all out, but they didn't, so they're no good. So now we're going to attack. And it's like, how typical of a politician to wait around and then blame somebody else mm. for the problem. Um, is that the president? That's Obama, yeah. Is it Obama, though? Cause it doesn't look like Obama. That's, Ob- that's meant to be Obama. All right, fair enough, because in Justice League... Obama is not the president. Is he not? No, because it's a white guy. And it's five years ago, so it would have been Bush. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. Mm. But was it five years ago from when it came out, or was it five years ago from now, nearly a year later? When you read it last year, yeah. it was five years ago. So it would Six have been. years ago now. Right, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I like the little subtle background touches that Thunder has battled Wonder Woman before and almost dies in the process. I presume that story's been told in one of the many spin-off books. It's not, actually. Has it not? Um, The writers seem unable to recognise that sometimes backstory doesn't have to become front story. Mm. So it's nice that that isn't alluded to. Um, Hector Hammond shows up fixing Hal's plane, and the green arrow in this story is a missile that never misses. I thought they were both quite nice little touches. Well, this one page of Hal Jordan is a shorted version of the two pages in the Hal Jordan time. And the irony of the bomb that never misses, is that it was created by Oliver Queen, a man who was crapper than our and always missed. Not in our reality. No, but in this, he was right. useless. In our reality, the battling bowman never missed. In, in fact, the payoff of the um, uh, that uh, one-off, one-shot, was when he got the arrow, but then a panel later, the bow misses, and he's like, ah, that's why I never used the bow. I shot an arrow into the air. Um, if the Flash is the fastest man alive... How the hell did the civilian soldier not only get a bead on him, but also actually hit him when he fires? Well, uh, my best guess is that in the last issue he said he wasn't at full power yet. I still think he's faster than a a gun, isn't he? He's still faster than a speeding bullet. Mm. Although they look like they're using plasma cannons in this reality. I have no idea. It's seen as a plasma cannon's not real. Um, does Element Woman have a DC analogue? Is it Metamorpho? Well, it's she's in old DC. Is she? she? Yeah. She's Element Woman, like, um, similar to Metamorpho, but was killed in the Sandman. I do love Element Woman. You want my juice box? She's so Luna Lovegood. Batman, Flash and Cyborg are quite lucky that Element Woman is a bit strange because the only reason they escape from the guards is because she's been stalking Cyborg since issue one. Have we seen her do that in the background, or have we just... It's hinted at with um, she being in Cyborg's base without him knowing. Right, okay. Um, I do like that the Flash's memories aligning with the new timeline are painful. Mm. I don't know why I like that, I just do. So it's one of the things in Back to the Future, and they never even mentioned that, did they? Doc Mm. Brown's memories didn't align with the new timeline. He knew what had happened, Mm. because he's come from outside of that timeline so his memories are from the previous timeline yeah whereas in this one Barry's memories are aligning to the new timeline I I just like that idea that eventually he will forget where he comes from Mm. which gives the story an impetus it makes him have to do something quickly because this entire story can't take place over more than two nights Um, it's not actually in fact his recovery takes place over a couple of weeks 
What does it? Mm. Oh, right. See, I missed that. I just thought it said... It's, it's more of a... Reading tie-ins, there's more of a length. Oh, right, so there's more of a feeling of time. Mm. Right, okay. Um, I do like that the surname of the Marvel's adopted family is Beck, which is a nice nod to C.C. Beck, creator of Captain Marvel, or Shazam, yeah. as it's called now. Um, when Billy tries to fix Barry, he sees his old origin of Captain Marvel with just Billy Batson rather than the new origin with all of the Marvels becoming Captain Thunder. Which was a nice touch. Yeah. I quite liked all of this. I liked the the scene between the Flash and Batman, where, as we've already mentioned, Batman is very much, then this world can die. Yeah. I don't care. Without without Bruce and Martha, I don't give a damn. Well, Flash is preparing to give up if he has to. Yeah. Barry is prepared to save this reality in that it's better than none. Yeah. Whereas Batman's very... I don't give a rat's ass about this reality. Um, the rallying call scene's pretty effective. Tawny is seen by everybody else as a standard house cat, but by the kids in Cyborg's bionics as what he is, the last survivor of his race, which I liked. I've grown quite a, an attachment to Tawny the Tiger since oh, we yeah. did Final Crisis. I quite like Tawny the Tiger, yeah. The best part of the scene, though, as we just mentioned, is the conversation between Flash and Batman. This is a far more grim Batman who just doesn't care. He wants this world to burn, and the old timeline, the one Flash represents, to come into being simply because he wants to give his son his life back. It's hard here to not see the parallels between this and being a comics fan. Did you not get that little subtext, or was it just me reading too much into it? Batman represents the fans that didn't want this reboot, and don't want continuity reset, and is willing to do anything to reset things back the way they were. Flash is accepting the fact that in the here and now, this is the real timeline, and he can't just ignore it. Of course, the main difference is in the real world, we can ignore it if we vote with our wallets. Of course, DC's been down this route before with the crisis on Infinite Earths, and this time it's, it's really a retrograde step. It reinstalled in all the material that was replaced in the crisis with the older, iconic versions of the characters, except, ironically, for Superman, who's been replaced by the more small villain, younger, more whiny Clark Kent, telling parables about how Superman has become this corrupted corporate lackey instead of an inspiring hero. That was the last issue of Action it Comics, was, yeah. in case you didn't get that. Of course, the final line from Flash when Batman says this world deserves to burn is Bruce would have come, which has the desired effect. Yeah. Let the world burn. Was that li- is that a line from The Dark Knight? Some people just want to see the world burn. Oh, yeah. There's a line from The Dark Knight. And Star Trek Generations, the time is the fire in which we burn. There's always a lot of burn imagery going on. Yeah. Which is nothing to do with burn notice. Um... Nobody's read Secret Wars is surprised that the Entrantress is a villain. Although, granted, for a different company in a different timeline. Yeah. Uh, running Billy through was actually pretty awesome, as the build-up and the rallying of the troop stuff, so it was really quite unexpected. It's a pity that the cliffhanger to this one is more of an expected one than the last couple. It may have been more effective if I hadn't read Road to Flashpoint, but knowing that the bad guy, ostensibly, was Zoom despite the little twist ending that we're going to come to in a minute. Yeah, I'd still disagree with you about the ruin it, but... Would you? Because I think, if anything, um, it has even much of a bigger twist ending. Because you're expecting it, it to show yeah. up, and you're waiting for it. And you're so expect- the anticipation is You're there. expecting all the blame to be on him as well. Yes, that was... that. I, I go with that. That wasn't a bad twist. That him, him showing up as a cliffhanger ending, though, wasn't unexpected, is what right, I'm saying. Yeah. I was expecting that to happen at but some point. The big twist ending. Yes, the little twist that you get later on. Did you not find, though, that the end to this was quite similar to when he showed up in The Return of Barry Allen, when we covered it, the Matt Wade one? Yeah. I thought the cliffhanger to this was very similar to that. Mm. 
Well, that could be a deliberate homage, couldn't it? Well, it could be. <laughs> Enchantress ports straight to the ship from New Themyscira after collecting her reward for killing the Secret Seven, and is known to be a bad guy for a while if you've been reading the Times. No. Well, but I, I, I suspected she was a bad guy. Well, yeah. Straight into issue five, which has a cover of reverse flash holding the flash and an unconscious or dead Batman. The typical pencil cover and variant by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez of Batman jumping down on reverse flash. Is it not Jose Luis Garcia Lopez? Jose. Jose. Is it not? Like it could be. Um, it's replete with lightning again. Zoom holding the lifeless body of Batman what's holding the flash by the front of his costume. It's very posed and stagey cover. Far more than any of the others, and this time the pencil's variant isn't much better. Did you not think the others have been quite dynamic? Yeah. The the variant by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is better. A nice action shot of uh, Batman going up against Zoom alone. Cal flies to New Themyscira and finds Lois Lane, but is soon attacked by Sinclair. Sinclair attacks Lois, but Cal kills him. When he returns to Lois, she dies in his arms. Abin Sir defeats Sinestro and heads for the war zone. For refusing to follow orders, the Guardians rebuke his ring and status as Green Lantern. Before his ring runs out of power, he makes it to the war zone and joins Cyborg, but dies. Somehow, finding the White Entity, he becomes a White Lantern and goes to save the world. Flash lashes out at Reverse Flash, but he says that Barry did all of this. He's the villain today. However, the Flash forgot what he did, so he'll have to make him remember. He tells the Flash that when he visited his mother's grave on her birthday, he decided to go back in time and stop Reverse Flash from killing his mum. However, like an amateur at changing time, Barry acted like a bullet through a windshield and shattered history, causing the world to change. Barry loses it and brutally attacks Thorn. An explosion gives them a quick break as they recover from the blast. That French survivor from before manages to convince her dad to stop the satellite and he flies towards it and destroys it. Batman says that Flash created this world and he can fix it. All they have to do is get Thorn out of the equation. Thorn beats Batman to the ground and turns back to Barry. He explains to him that he, was al he always needed Barry Allen to become the Flash so that the Speed Force would be accessible to him in the 25th century. But as he was running through the Speed Force when Barry changed to history, Thorn is now a living paradox. Free from the shackles of history and can now kill Barry whenever he wants to and still exist. For the first time, the legendary Flash cannot hurt Ogre Thorn, but Batman can, and does so as he drives a sword right through the chest of Thorn. Grifter and the Resistance join the battle, but Enchantress begins to kill everyone she sees. Out of nowhere, Cal falls on her, crushing her to death, and heads straight for Arthur and Diana. As the Flash is hit by new memories, Grodd and his army of guerrillas join the battle, and the country begins to sink. The dying Thomas Wayne tells Barry to leave and save the world. If he succeeds, then it doesn't matter who dies today, everyone will be saved. He gives Barry a letter for Bruce, and the last survivor of the war runs straight for his grounding rod. At Ferris Aircraft, whilst cleaning out Hal's locker, Carol stumbles across a sheet of paper in a box. The note says that he's no hero, but he only has one regret. She looks in the box to find an engagement ring. Barry finds himself at his mother's house. He tells her that he changed history to save her, but at what cost, she asks. How many people died because she lived? She tells him that she's proud to have him as her son, that she'll be with his father, and to go do the right thing. Running through the Speed Force, Barry encounters Buzz, who's been running through time as the Black Flash. The two resolve the problems they had before the world changed, and Bert becomes the White Flash, dies, and gives Barry the energy he needs to save the world. Next, he crosses Barry. He is told by himself to stop. 
He has to save his mum, but he apologises and fights himself off the cosmic treadmill. An explosion occurs, and everything you know changes in a flash. He runs through time, a strange woman talking to him. He sees three timelines ahead of him. He's told that long ago the history of heroes was shattered to weaken the world for the arrival of unknowns. All the timelines must be won again. The woman can fix that, but at a cost. Barry wakes up in his office. They've been pulling 18 hour shifts working on cold cases. Barry looks around. He's okay, he says. Flash runs to the Batcave and asks if this really is Bruce under the cowl. Barry explains to Bruce what has happened and says that everything's back to normal now. Bruce tells Barry to stop beating himself up so much because if he had Barry's powers, he'd do the exact same thing. Barry also explains that in the timeline his memories were fading, but in this timeline he remembers everything from the old. Every memory with his mum. He thinks it's a temporal after effects or the result of a coronal residue still in his bloodstream, but Bruce says that it's a gift to make it all a little bit easier. Barry hands Bruce the letter from his father, and after stopping himself from crying over it, he thanks Barry. The end. Yes. Or the beginning. Or the beginning, yes. Um, yeah, the panel at the beginning where Eobard explains that this is all the Flash's fault is really quite effective. We see that Barry sped through time to the day of his mother's death, a death that had already altered time, as it didn't originally happen, to find the cause of it all, Professor Zoom. He saved his mum, but in the process altered time irrevocably. So the choice is presumably going to become sacrifice his mum, or sacrifice the whole world, which is an awesome story beat, and yet from a character standpoint, the most horrific thing you can do to someone. Jones has his detractors as a writer, and I've been one of them, although I have to confess I've never found his particular writer's ticks to be as dull as Bendis's. But this is really an example of torturing the characters you love. Still, I find it a bit odd that Aquaman would cradle the body of his decapitated wife. That's a bit gross. Thorne goes on about how he can now kill Barry and not be affected by it. In uh, Rebirth and the Flash series, he kills Barry's mum and messes him up during his life because that's all he can do to get revenge on Barry without risking his own life. Right. Okay. I have to confess to thoroughly enjoying Thorne's supervillain monologue, which is almost Doctor Who-esque in its time travel complexities. And then he gets skewered, literally, by Batman, who runs him through with a sword. It is... <laughs> I, I, you hate to say it. Yeah, I hate to say that I liked that. I did. I, and I love the advice when you're in the middle of a war. Don't stand still. And he just runs... Because he's doing this big rant about how he's outside of time. So he can do whatever the hell he wants. Nothing can hurt him. And Batman just runs him through. <laughs> I, said, I, I did find that quite amusing. Yeah. It's sad that I find death funny, but, you know, what can you do? Are you the um, type of guy who laughs at a funeral? I'm the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral, don't understand what I mean, well, you soon will. Um, the Resistance kind of comes out of nowhere yeah. in Flashpoint alone. They kind of get seeded a little bit earlier on with Lois Lane, uh, but that storyline does make a bit more sense if you've read the tie-ins, although I didn't feel you had to read the tie-ins for this. No. I never felt lost reading this. The Titans were more to make it... Yeah, the timelines. Yeah, yeah, to give it backstory and add depth to it. Unlike Blackest Night, where if they hadn't had the Green Lantern issues, yeah. that story wouldn't have made any sense. Well, haven't we said that Blackest Night would have made sense, but Green Lantern wouldn't have? Oh, yeah, one way or another. It, the Green Lantern issues didn't stand alone. 
but the Blackest Night series. No, I, I would argue if you hadn't got them, you couldn't understand Blackest Night. The Green Lantern Titans were very important. I'm sure a reader of ours said he only read Blackest Night and he was fine with it. Uh, it probably was, but I I think you needed them to be there to make the story make more sense. Okay. You could probably still read. Whereas with this, I didn't feel that I was missing anything. Yeah. Some of it felt quite quick. So you weren't reading Final Crisis here? Yeah. You, I was reading this on its own, and I thought that this was okay. All right. The Resistance finally show up, and even though they've been in London for the entirety of the series, even though um, one of the members that show up here died in the Resistance tie-in, and Frankenstein and Shade don't show up, despite being on the ship's hologram with the Resistance and the Outsider. So a couple of minor continuity glitches. Just a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, I'm a bit put off by the art at times throughout the entire series. It's good, but there's a few times. It's it's um, how it's in in the series and the times as well, because of how the UK is depicted. Mm. Now, living here, I know what it's like. I know the size of it. It may be really small, but it feels pretty big, you know? Yeah, when you're in it. Yeah. But it's always a tiny little island when it's looked at from above. Um, well, we are a tiny little it, island. Okay, when um, they go into the UK, when the Aquaman's outside it, it's like this tiny little island. But when everyone's on it fighting, it's this massive country. But then when it's all fallen to bits at the end, it's a tiny little island again. Well, artistic license, I presume. That didn't bother me as much as the Amazons coming in and taking us with one panel. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. No. I'm not having none of that filth. That ain't happening. Yeah. Amazons or not. <laughs> we'll just set a couple of football hooligans on them. Then we'll see who's an Amazon. Yeah. There's an awful lot of time travel doublespeak. But the heart of the scene at the end is Thomas Wayne and Nora Allen both being willing to sacrifice themselves for their children. Again, some comic reader subtext, as Nora points out, there's still the memories he has of her being alive. All those old stories are still there. Uh, it's a bit patronising, to be honest with you. I didn't find it patronising. No, well, you, you kind of like the new 52. Um, when Barry's zooming through time, and we get a nice little homage there to Crisis on Infinite Earths... Mm-hmm. What are the three timeline Barry sees? The pre-crisis, the post-crisis, and the new 52? I've... No, when it comes to these timelines, I'm, I kind of worked off the art a bit, and I thought that um, in DC, Vertigo and Wildstorm are, have all the separate timelines, because that's what it is here. Oh, and now they're all part of... But You've Vertigo's got, still on its own again. It is, yeah. But you have Vertigo characters such as John Constantine, Swamp Thing, Animal Man... Have been melded back. Yeah. And Batgirl's alive again, and... So I'm assuming, going off this piece of art, that the three separate timelines are the three separate branches. Right, okay, fair enough. See, I went with post-crisis, pre-crisis, and New 52, but your theory is just as valid. Yeah. Yeah, alright, fair enough, I'll go with that one. And Pandora, as we learn, appeared in every issue one um, that followed this. She had a backup in Justice League 6, where we learn that she knows the Phantom Stranger. Um, the recent fi- uh, New 52 free comic big day comic we learn of her origin and the main story follows her we haven't learned who she is or what she's doing yet that's coming for later is it Jeff Johns has said that she will be in a story arc of the Justice League well it does say to be continued in Justice League at the end of that little backup story in issue 6 mm. so I'm presuming that's coming down the line a bit um, I love that Batman's just sat at his desk refueling his utility belt yeah I just thought it was a lovely little touch because it's something you, you don't see a lot of he he's always got what he it, needs yeah. out of his utility belt you don't really give any thought to the fact that he must have to sit there going right I'll put about 6 gas pellets in here and I'll need this many things in here I quite like that. yeah don't forget the shark repellent never know when you're going to need shark <laughs> repellent Unless you don't go anywhere near water. <laughs> yeah. Just a wacky idea. Um, 
Flash giving Batman the letter Thomas Wayne wrote for him, proving that Thomas really did believe Barry could do it. Uh, and I thought that Bruce removing his cowl when he reads the letter was just a lovely little subtle touch. You try and mess me up. Did it? Yeah. I mean, I'm used to stern, stern ass, kick your face Batman, not cry Bruce Wayne. Yeah, but he's just got a letter from his dad who died when you he know, was I, ten I understood it, in the new 52, not eight, but I still. I, get, I, I didn't mind that at all. Um, all told, I quite liked this. Despite what you may think, mm. I haven't been against the New 52, because that would be quite hypocritical given I was around for the crisis. But I hadn't read this until Mike suggested doing it for the show. It's a far more personal tale than Crisis, focusing on one man, The Flash, the character who sacrificed most in the crisis here again, called him to sacrifice even more to save the universe, and the lengths he will go to to save his world. I didn't quite understand how saving his mum caused such a different timeline, and I didn't quite understand how the Amazons Atlanteans turned out to be so ruthless in what they wanted to achieve, as none of this was really focused on in these five issues. Mm-hmm. You've helped elaborate on that, and have made it a bit clear as to what all that was about. Unlike the Crisis on Infinite Earth, the bad guys didn't really have a definable motive. Yes, they wanted to rule the Earth, but why? What for? What purpose did it serve? And how would cracking it in half help them achieve that goal? And what exactly were the Resistance up to? All of these elements of the story in the Flashpoint 5 issues were quite weak and indefined, possibly explaining why there's so many tie-ins. Even Reverse Flash, Professor Zumi, Abad Thorne was a very minimal presence in the overall story, wasn't he? Mm. All things considered, what is he in? Six pages? More or less, Of the entire five issues? Um, Where they scored was in focus on Thomas Wayne and Barry Allen and the relationship throughout. And then finally, the final scene between Flash and Bruce Wayne was really quite touching. I was quite impressed with that. Well, with what happened with the change in the world bit, with how he changed everyone else's lives, my best theory of that is when he's stopping Thorn from killing his mum, he doesn't know what he's doing, unlike Thorn. Um, so Barry's never altered history before, so he's flailing about and damaging everyone because he has no control. Mm, and he is consumed with grief. Yeah, and as for the bad guy's motives, it's not to rule the world. They're at war with each other because of something that was explained in the Titans. But... Um, the, we're just caught in the middle of it. Right, so something to do with the death of Hippolata. Like yeah, if it's like if America and China decided to go to war. They're the Amazonians and the Atlanteans and we're the rest of the people. And we're in the so middle going, uh, yeah. we're right here, dudes. So it's kind of like that. Um, see, they both want each other out of the picture and we'll do anything to accomplish that. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, for me, it was the final few pages that scored in this on a personal character level rather than on a big gigantic crossover level yeah um, who was the woman who talked to Flash as he corrected the timeline that's the Pandora woman right so that's the Pandora chick who's something to do with the whole it's thing it's a much better two page spread if you're in it in single issue so it doesn't have the fold right so it doesn't have the fold right down the middle of it ok yeah. fair enough um, how can we remember bits and pieces of the Alterniverse but doesn't remember the original DC Universe because this is the original DC Universe but it isn't though is it but it is this is home, this is the regular DC Universe, but with a few minor tweets that he doesn't know about because he... Because he's merged the, them all the into one Pandora, timeline. This is now home that he remembers. Right, oh, okay. Which also backs up my theory about the, the regular DCU and the New 52. Uh, with the New 52, say, the old DCU is going at a horizontal line. Yeah. 
and the New 52 is going on the vertical line and they've intercepted and they've met at Flashpoint but right. that's where the DCU ended and the, the New 52 took over uh, see for a ground zero reboot this seems to hedge its bets an awful lot doesn't it yeah it's like the DC bosses didn't quite have the courage of the convictions um like Crisis on Infinite Earths it's Batman who doesn't play ball and has a very minimally altered history and Green Lantern too Green Lantern has nothing changed in this series uh, well in it? Crisis Green Lantern was suddenly older yeah because Hal Jordan wasn't Green Lantern at the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths as you pointed out something I'd never noticed Hal Jordan isn't in the Crisis on Infinite Earths which seems like a, a pretty big oversight to be honest with it but mm-hmm. whatever um all told, this was a good alterniverse history. It was a rather weak and undefined way to launch a new universe. Great art, though. And I really did like Thomas Wayne's more brutal Batman. Yeah. Uh, next time, we are covering four, Michael's choice, Well, new 52 books. We're going to kick off with the six issues that comprise the first Justice League story arc. Yep. Then Swamp Thing, yep. which is one of your favourite books. It is. Then The Flash... Which is one of my favourite books. Finishing with The Flash. Are we finishing? What, are we doing Animal Man, then The Flash? To make it full circle. Alright, either way, they're, they're the four that we're covering. Yep. Uh, and then it's the Teen Titans, the Judas Project. So is that for definite? Yeah, oh yeah, we're definitely doing Teen Titans, Judas Project. Right, uh, finally tonight, it's a bit of a bummer. Bit of a downer. Mm-hmm. Ending to the show. The week that Debbie we recalled Downs. this. <laughs> Debbie Downer, yes. Um, it was revealed that Ernest Borgnine had sadly passed away. He was 95 years old, which isn't a bad innings no. by any measure of a man. Um, obviously, Borgnine had a list of credits as long as a basketball player. Uh, I knew him as a kid primarily from his roles in The Black Hole, Convoy, Escape from New York, and a, a well-remembered turn he did as a gone-to-seed wrestler on an episode of Magnum P.I. But of course... He will be best remembered by me as Dominic Santini, co-pilot to Jan Michael Vincent's taciturn Stringfellow Hawk, both co-pilots of Erwolf. And any excuse to play the Erwolf theme tune is always to be taken. Rest in peace, Mr. Borgnine. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.